great is that where you think you think you're going to be uh, in a underwater world <laughs> and you land in <laughs> I was born in a socialist country run by communists like my father. He was hardcore, ardent communist. First Persian war broke out. Packed my stuff. I was living with a bunch of skydivers. I say, I'm going to war. Your stuff. Yeah. I say, where are you going? I'm going to war. I say, what war? I say, the Persian Gulf War. The Black Rifle Podcast starts now. So you did stem cell therapy for your lungs? Mm-hmm. What did they do? Well, it's supposed to be for my... Uh, joints and stuff, uh-huh. and uh, they were doing the way also that it can cross the brain uh, barrier. But I asked them not to use for my joints or my back or my knees or elbows. I use everything for my putting my blood because the lungs will absorb it. Right. They said that, well, this is what I was told. So I just put everything in my veins and let it heal. Did you did you notice a difference? Yeah. You, you did? Mm-hmm. I can like, breathe. I really? I can breathe. So like, was it? How long did it take for you to notice a difference between when you had... Uh, initially, so the way it worked was like right away, maybe within like two, three days, I was like, wow. But then just decline again, went almost right back to it. But I was forewarned that this is what may happen. Yeah. This is this is how it usually works. And then yeah. your body starts slowly building uh, itself up. And this is like eventually, like now, I, I seldom have those breathing issues that I cannot take a full breath. Mm. Uh, but... Um, and I don't think it, is, it would be idiopathic because I know where I injured these, my lungs. I know where it, actually where it happened. So, where was it? Uh, we're breaching uh, uh, in the high risers in the building. I was breaching the wall up there to make a small opening in the wall. And they, as I was going through the cloud, you know, we, we breached, we blow the, yeah, the, this thing up. Yeah. I took a big wave and like, yeah. the concrete dust uh, in Baghdad and yeah. uh, it just stopped all my, my my breathing right in the tracks. So we did, we cleared the house, mm-hmm. we got the guys, but um, after we came back, like for two days, I couldn't take a breath and me and three first guys in the train who were going through the through the door, they had the same problem, we were just laying and gasping for air. We went to a doctor later on base, but it's like, I don't see anything. And uh, it subsided later, like it went away. But then, like five, six years later, um, f- further than that, maybe like I would say, ten years later, it starts showing up with me, you know, having difficulties breathing, to the point that I couldn't walk upstairs to my bedroom. I had to really? take breaks, and this is why we actually the house that I have now we built with the bedroom downstairs because I could, I was sometimes sleeping on the sofa because I couldn't uh, I couldn't walk upstairs, right. and after the, the therapy, actually, I, I'm. I, I'm, I'm better now. But we have a house just in case with bedroom downstairs. I don't have to climb. <laughs> I still don't like climbing the stairs up there after the, that uh, stand with this, whatever was wrong with my lungs. You know, that, that was one thing that we used to do because um, I used to do a ton of breaching and I, I, I'd use ProMass all the time because that was one of the things that, that was identified really early in the war was when we were doing those exterior compound walls and we were blowing them into moon dust mm-hmm. uh, or wherever yeah right? yeah he, he, all that stuff would kick up and i remember you know if, especially if you're throwing frags or bangs or anything yep. inside the yep. interior of uh, any any structure yep and the, there's so much dust the first time i ever cleared a really big structure with a ton of dust and then you're throwing bangs because we, we didn't know anything. It was like the first time we'd ever done anything. So we were like throwing bangs and these <laughs> things. And it 
the, the lighting came falling down off out of a, out of the ceiling and then all this dust came through. Yeah, it was the yeah. same. It was yeah. really difficult to breathe. So then we're like, well, shit, we can actually use these pro masks for something. You, you know what? This is something that we never thought about. It's too later on, yes. But at that time when we were breaching, there was just like blow and go. Yeah. You know, just a blow, roll the doors and go and go inside. And um, yeah, that's, we pay, I think many of us are paying price or will pay price for it. But the masks, yeah, I think this is, everybody should have it now, especially in the on the assault train, oh, yeah. going first to the door, to the bridge. And, and especially remember that like the the bridge that injured me uh, was in the high riser and they have all kinds of concrete and this yeah. particle and asbestos, whatever it is. So when I was going, when we're going to the cloud of it, it was almost like- Where were you guys put, at, Baghdad? Yeah. So it was almost like somebody put the uh, uh, needles in yeah. my lungs. I mean, like, oh, my, my lungs, like, strong right there. I couldn't Interesting. Breathe. So, but yeah, we were in Baghdad. Actually, I have, a, uh, I have tons of images from it. That Some of them I, I can show you. I don't want to show it here because there might be some issues with right. uh, what is on the picture. But yeah. uh, I, I'll show it to you. It's What's, interesting. Uh, so when when were you in when were you in Iraq? What years? Were I was two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, back to back. Back to back, and yeah. then were you? What team were you with? When I you was with Team Four, but the, I was assigned. I was so this is kind of a funny story because mm -hmm. I was uh, we were in the middle of deployment with SEAL Team Four in South America, and uh, did and, you do the invasion of Iraq? No, I, no. Went, I went right after it. Okay, yeah. and um, and so we came back from the training in the jungle, and uh, from. Uh, and I got a call to to, to, to go to talk to chief to my chief, and I was told Drago uh, into pack your stuff, and you're going to Baghdad. I say okay. The the grown police special forces operating in Baghdad with our guys with seals, and they need some liaison, somebody who can connect and kind of help out with the integrating uh, Polish grown and Navy seals. So I was like excited about this. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah, yeah. There. And you know, we are all military people, uh, aggressive. The, the SEAL platoon that I was in was very aggressive. They were pissed because they were pissed that they can't go. They have right. to wait for their turn. Because every SEAL wants to go to war. You know, mm -hmm. it's like given. So yeah, I went up there. Supposed to be, I was told that three months on, on this present deployment. So I will go for three months, another three months, just help to coordinate that stuff. And you know, our Navy deployments are six months long. So after three months, I'll just come back and resume my normal duties uh, mm -hmm. within the SEAL team. It just never happened because I went like three months past, like nobody calls me. It's like, I don't call. Four months passed, they ask who wants to volunteer to stay longer. I say, I will stay longer. But nobody from my command contacted me. So I just stayed there the four months, five months, six months, seven months, eight months or nine months, so pretty much year deployment. Finally, uh, I mean, finally, they, uh, my night vision uh, broke. And the SEAL teams, they were, the SEAL teams were just rotating to it. Yeah. So they, uh, I call I call my command because they, I was borrowing from them. I kind of was worried that if I call my command, they would pull me out. Yeah. So, but then I was like, I was told, hey, Drago, you know, we have so limited equipment because as a SEAL team, so you just, it's the 16 guys or the 32 guys of a troop. And then um, you had the, all you had is just for you. So I say, Drago, just call your command, tell you to send you the NVGs because I'm my broker. I say, okay. So I call my command, some new guy in the armory is like, hey, uh, 
uh, I need NVGs. Can you send me NVGs to Baghdad? It's like, hey, wait a minute. Baghdad, who are you? I'm some Drago. I want NVGs in Baghdad, right? I say, yeah. Do you want the bomb vest too? And the, you Iraqi fucking terrorists? And blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, they throw us like, wait a minute, dude. How do you think like the terrorists get a direct line to armor of CL Team 4? What, what are you thinking? It was a new guy. I said, I'm fucking kill you when I come back. It's just get me Master Chief online. So, <laughs> and they got online. And it's like the conversation I remember was like, hey, Dragos, good to hear from you. Where are you right now? It's like in Baghdad. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. How long have you been there? I go, now my deployment is going for almost a year. Oh, I like crickets for a while. Wait a minute, let me get XO online. And then and see, like then I was told, like, Drago, you need to come back uh, because the SEAL, the other SEAL team is going out um, on deployment and we are next in line. So you need to start working out with your platoon. <laughs> so they send me back. So I say, okay, well, that was my, my, my fun stuff was over. Uh, <clears throat> so I got on the plane, flew to Little Creek. And the other team going out, say, hey, you know what? It's like two weeks. Uh, can you just come with us for two weeks and uh, just help us start working with Grom because like initiate at least that cooperation? I say, yeah, oh, hell yeah, because I was just looking for the way to get back in, 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 in Iraq. And that was like a golden egg, golden opportunity. Yeah. I say, yeah, go there. So it was supposed to be two weeks. And like four months later, my, my team is calling me say, dude, you need to come back because we are next. <laughs> So I came back and uh, and then I deployed again with my SEAL team. So with my 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 platoon. So that was pretty much like back to back. That's a funny story because when I went the third time, I, I went to the chow hall to eat. We had like I think dinner. Where at Baghdad? In Baghdad, I think mm -hmm. it was Bob Hope at the time. Yeah. So, so this good comes out. The army guy say, "Dude, wait a minute. Have you been here in 2003?" I say, "Yeah." Hey, you have been here in 2004. I think you were. I say, yeah. It's 2005. Are you still here? I say, yeah. Dude, did you ever go home? I say, well, kind of for a short time. <laughs> say, because I remember you. I remember you from 2003 because you are the guy walking with the gun behind his belt. Yeah. <laughs> like my, when I was going to have the gun just sticking yeah, my yeah. belt. And, and I remember you. I say, yeah, you know, we talk. Great guy, great army guy. You know, it's, Good guys. They were, they were doing very dangerous jobs, maining those checkpoints and stuff. Yeah, working with the bullseye on their backs. Yeah, and this is something that I have a lot of respect for. The, for these guys, I mean, those. Um, yeah, yeah, Where, but, so, were you working with the Grom? Yeah. In, so Grom was in Baghdad at the same time working. They came. They came to 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 work with us, mm -hmm. doing the raids and the DA DA action, whatever was needed to be done. But uh, some of them were not very proficient with English. Mm -hmm. Or I would say at that time, now every Grom uh, 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 operator speaks English. Uh, some of them, I think, speak better than I do. Right. But at that time, not very few in between who did so. I was also working as a, you know, help coordinate the missions, help coordinate the, 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 the planning and all yeah. that stuff. And it worked out great, you know. It was like, I learned a lot of respect for the for, for Grom, the police special forces. I never heard about them. I never... Uh, Never seen them until I went to Baghdad. And I say, holy shit, these, these guys look like the devils. There's no, you don't want to get on their bedside. You know, those big guys with big Huge. birds. And, yeah, yeah. And and just like, you know, trying to <laughs> beat bad people, you know, beat bad people up. Yeah. So that was, you yeah. know, or kill them if they were, you know, Kill. like really bad and threatening. Yeah, we, um, 
the first time I met some Grom guys was in Camp Doha, Kuwait, in preparation uh-huh. for the invasion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they were really bad guys, like bad in a good way. Badass right? like, guys, yeah. They're, they're super badass, and uh, they they were all really big, like so very yeah. tall. Yeah. Actually, I take that back. So. Uh, we did an exchange program in special forces with foreign mm-hmm. special forces guys. So mm-hmm. during the, the special forces qualification course, there was a Grom, or there was a Grom guy going through, and we were in the we were in the swamp doing flutter kicks one night, mm-hmm. and um, you, you know they they just put you in the swamp and you're doing flutter kicks and whatever else till like two or three four o'clock in the morning, and uh, and then to keep us up. We had the 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 instructor gave us a flashbang, and then we'd have to pass the flashbang around as we're doing flutter kicks. And the Grom guy had um, he had a, uh, a, a a frag pin on his dog tags, and he just put it back in as the instructor was like off, and we all like <laughs> relaxed. And he's like, and in his accent, he's like, every Grom guy has you know, grenade on dog pins or, you know, I didn't really, really, (laughs) is that, is that true? And it was, it was like, that was the first time. It was like, it was like the coolest move ever because, you know, I mean, who has a fucking grenade pin on their dog tags at that point? Let me tell you a follow-up story on that guy who just told So from your uh, training, he came straight to Bud's. Yep, and he passed the bar. He, he made two bats too. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was talking to him. So he's like, well, Drago, I had no choice. My command told me to attend the Green Berets course and then bats. But I wish I had a little bit break and listen between them. <laughs> so he went from... Yeah, from that to... to yeah. Actually, I, I just checked into the bats, I think. So he was... I mean, that was a funny story because like, dude, she just went to the hell and just came back for another one. Yeah. So yeah, that's... Uh, that, uh, for me, it's like a lot of respect for these guys. It's were hardcore, you, hardcore were you a buds instructor then? Yeah. I what was years were you a buds? 2005, 2008. Okay. Yeah. And uh, but uh, so, yeah, there was the, the grown guy who he just said, yeah, I just came back from Green Beret course and came back. I think they're the same guy. <laughs> it's got to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, but funny story about these uh, foreigners coming to our courses. So when I was instructor, I was a proctor of class. Uh, in in in, in Bart's class, one of the Bart's classes, and one of the guys kept nagging me with the accent. He came from I think Russia or somewhere from that region. Yeah. Instructor Drago, when will I learn how to weld underwater? I, I, I'm like, what did you just say? Are you <laughs> fucking with me? So I just laid to him, you know, yeah. just just, and then he kept, but he kept coming back like. Well, my friend in Florida, he already graduated from welding class, underwater welding class, and he's going home. And why did you? Why is this so hard? That he say it's not really hard up there. <laughs> and so finally, what turned out to be just order mixed up. The guy, they're both supposed to go to dive school. How to learn how to weld underwater? But somehow the guy ended up in SEAL training. And I was like, wondering, why is this so hard when this guy is so easy? His body. Yeah, they sent him there. Yeah, literally. So he sent, him, he sent so the they, guy that they, they were yeah. supposed to be supposed to go to dive school? Not even high school. Just learn how to underwater weld. He ended up in SEAL training. Was he passing? 
He was passing. He was passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But finally, we we caught up with it. We just like, holy shit, we, we sent him where he's supposed to be. But he was he was not with his friend because his friend graduated a long time ago and went home. <laughs> So, How great is that? Where you think you think you're going to be I, an underwater welder, and you land in asking. Yeah. And then it's sort of like this though because we think he's just mocking us, yeah. you know. So, yeah. He's getting he's probably just getting his shit pushed in because he's because yeah. he's mocking you. Yeah, yeah. I haven't this, I, I was seeing was seeing this dive. He, he, went, he went all the way to second phase yeah. before we caught up. So the hell we everything just keep passing. Awesome. But he was still waiting when he started learning how to weld. <laughs> That's, that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Just torturing this poor guy. And, and extra torturing because we thought he's mocking us and making fun of the training. Like, wonder what they're welding. No, oh my good sides are hurting. So my, you just can't, you can't make the shit uh, up. So my buddy Rex, uh, he was a team guy. And he was a Filipino, so you might uh, even know him, uh, yeah. Rex Ablau. And uh, he was, a, I think he was a four. He was, yeah, he was a four. But he he was a Filipino, and when he signed into Buds, they thought he was also a foreign, a foreign. Oh, you cannot drop them. You cannot drop them. And so he was he was pretending like he didn't speak, <laughs> speak English. <laughs> And he, he was telling me that, however the mix-up was, right? He was telling me that he he was pretending that he didn't speak English for the longest time, and then finally they caught on that he wasn't a foreign yeah, exchange yeah. student, and they just like just completely punished him, you know, for for. Okay, but it was it solid. So, uh, yeah, it was yeah, solid yeah, because yeah, you can't yeah. do the same things as, as you yeah. can with Americans. Like he he had a oh yeah he had a good run. We had to be very careful yeah. with them. We have to be. Um, uh, like cognizant that they are not our forces; those are just guests. So yeah. we treat them as guests. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's still there's certain requirement. There's I know a couple of guys that didn't made it. There's just one guy; he was an officer and uh, from like foreign country. We sent him home. He just he was there. he was like totally dangerous to other people around. So yeah, yeah. We, over the, but we, you know, with the navy, this is so funny. I mean. When I was, so I made through bats, mm -hmm. right? It was the old times. First that, time. Did you get recycled or have to go back? And I, I got the recycle in the first phase right before Hell Week. Mm. I got the MRSA in my oh, leg. Yeah. It was so bad that it's just like, you need to go back. And I could actually, I, I kind of like, I was asking Surta to just let me stay in. But they say, our next week is in the flood mats, in the, in the muds. Mm -hmm. So you have an open big infection in your leg. Which is pretty common in buds it's for you to get. Common, yeah. Because I've heard a lot of this from yeah. guys because it, the, so the sand I'll, and it's yeah. a rash and yeah. it gets and infected, then just right? infected. Yeah. So after three, uh, after like three weeks, they put me back in 185, class 185 mm -hmm. and I graduated from the very, yeah, no problem all the way through. So, but you know, when the, all times, so when you graduate from SEAL training, you go to uh, go to jump school and all that schools, and then you go to SEAL team, assigned SEAL team, and then you are on probation. They used to be like that. That you were on the probation, you get after you, you went to you are still on probation. You go to uh, there was at that time was STT SEAL tactical training. Mm -hmm. You go to that like today they call it SQT. Yeah. this uh, I think equivalent. And after you graduate from STT at the time, you were assigned to SEAL platoon 
on, proba as a, on probation. And then the team guys would say, well, yay or nay. If you, there's many team guys who made all the way through in the SEAL teams, and then it's like, well, nah. And, and, and just, they just remove these people. So you never got, you never, you, you made, went through all these trainings and never be a SEAL. You never got your Trident pen because the pen was eventually after you passed the, the approved by the platoon, the, the, the on probation, then uh, in front of, you went in front of the board of Chiefs, Master Chiefs. And and then if you pass that, then you're awarded Trident. Today is a little bit different. I'm not saying it's easier. I'm not saying it's, it's worse or better. I heard you say it was easier now. You said that earlier. I did. Yeah, you said it's easier now than cut it out. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, it, it, it's, it's different. Uh, it's, uh, so you go to through bats. You go to uh, SQT SEAL qualification training, and then you get a trident, and then you go to team as a full fledged SEAL mm. with like no experience yet. But uh, but this is the way it is, and uh, you know who am I to criticize or or make a judgment on it? Uh, apparently, there was a reason for it. But anyway, so at that time it was SQT. Uh, STT. So I went to STT when I went came from Bath, jump school, and you know you go to classes, demolition, land warfare, this, the diving, and then also the the cryptographic classes and the the, the secret stuff mm -hmm. with the radio and communications. Yeah. So me and my buddy Scott, Scotty sitting in the chair, I went through entire this comms school, and like that we had supposed to have exam next day. So, and then, so we sit up there, we're like, yeah, we got it, you know, it's like, it's pretty cool, you know, it's easy, easy class, and so, and so, and the instructor comes in, one of those STT instructors, like, hey, she like leaned over my, my bench, where she like, the whole, you know, bunch of seals, you know, we have a seat on the, like, school benches, I was like, do you have a secret clearance? It's like, I don't really know what it is, I mean, I, I guess not. Do you have a secret clearance? This is my bad Scotty, she's like, I'm sure I'm not. I'm. I'm not even American. I'm just. Uh, I am just. Uh, I'm British still. <laughs> like, had a deep breath. Just look around. Say, okay, shh, just come with me. So we went outside and he said, okay, don't ever say to anybody that you are sitting through this class. You guys need to get your clearances first <laughs> because it's a secret shit. You know, you do the crypto. Yeah, all yeah, and yeah. Stuff. And then when you become, when you get your clearances. Then you just come back and take this class or take a test again. I say, well, I can take a test because I already learned everything. So I can take this test today and pass it. And but he said, don't say, don't say that. Just say you didn't sit there. You are not in this class at all. And uh, yeah, so my scout is like, yeah, but I have to get my citizenship first. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so yeah, he, so I got, I got my clearance eventually and got my, I passed the test. I didn't have to take any exams or any. I mean, didn't have to take any. Training because I already knew everything. Yeah, yeah. So I just went and passed the exam. And Scotty, he became right before deployment, he became U.S. citizen. A whole SEAL platoon went to his ceremony of becoming U.S. citizen. And then he passed his test, got, got the clearance and stuff, and, and we deployed. So. What year was that, 91? 95. Oh, that was 95. Yeah, that was 95. That right. we did. That's when the O'Grady got shut down in Bosnia that year. So let's go back because, I mean, obviously, you're, you're, ball, you're born in Poland and then yes. you immigrated to the United States. But there's yes. there's a whole story here that I think needs to be unpacked and obviously yes. for, for so many different reasons. You know, your book, The Pledge to America, uh, you know, but we, we gotta start at the beginning right. so we can get into it now. So so tell so those, us. those are the beginnings. Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was born in a socialist 
country run by communist communists like my father. Mm-hmm. He was hardcore, ardent communist. But what people, I just make a disclaimer here because uh, people I hear all the time referring to countries behind Iron, Curt- Iron Curtain uh, in Eastern Europe as communist countries. Well, even I say it sometimes because it's so common. Everybody yeah. says communist country, communist country. But in reality, none of these countries, including Soviet Union, were ever communist state. They were all socialist states run by communists like my father, communists like my father, but they were socialist states. So I just want to make it, put it out of the way. So when mm-hmm. we talk about a socialist, socialist Poland, then we, we know what we're talking about. Please remember too that socialism, it is whether it is Joseph Stalin socialism, mm-hmm. whether it is Polish social, in Poland, my father and his communist party call it democratic socialism. So whether it is the, my father's democratic socialism or whether this is Cuba socialism, Maduro socialism. Or Bernie Sanders or, or Bernie, socialist. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are not socialist country, yeah. and I hope we never be, but anyway. Or it was Adolf Hitler socialism, you know, all kinds of flavor of socialism, whether it is Maduro socialism or Adolf Hitler national socialism. Mm-hmm. They all have things in common that I experience in Poland. So like uh, political prisoners, fraudulent elections, the uh, censorship, heavy censorship, and political uh, uh, persecution, eventually ending up in political assassinations and, and murders. So every socialist state that you know have these things in common. Now, I hear all the time, well, but the, the socialism is not so bad because socialism means the government builds the roads, schools, and pays for the police. Well, if this is your definition of socialism, then Saudi Arabia must be socialist state, which we know is not uh, Morocco and Taliban even in right. Afghanistan is socialist states because they do build the roads and, and this is not the, 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 the what socialism is. But so I just got it off the way. So I was born in socialist country. It was a very totalitarian system. And even by my father's words, what he used to say that uh, we need to make people like socialism. If they don't, we try to convince them. If we cannot convince them, we make them cancel. We make them kind of uh, move them out of the society. We make them basically socially disappear mm-hmm. from the scene. If that doesn't work, he was explaining to me how, wh- why it is and how it is. And if that doesn't work, we just put them in prison. And if that doesn't help, we cannot put them in prison, we just eliminate them physically. And, and he was the guy, when you talk to him, when you have a chance to meet him, to meet him, you would think, what a nice older man, what a kind man, well-educated. He was like, you know, somebody you would like to have as a neighbor. But when you start probing his views, when you start probing his uh, 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 ideals, you would get scared. And this is why, you know, my, the, the, my mom... And my father, they got divorced. I was seven years old. They never reconciled. My mom was, of course, devout uh, Catholic. My grandmother even more devout, because mm. <laughs> I didn't like that at the time. And my father was like, he, didn't want, he, was, he tried to forbid us from going to church because his idea was that socialism is not compatible with faith. Right. For socialist people, mm. socialists, the faith is just superstition. Mm-hmm. That they are, they, they, we need to believe in science. Right, there's only the science is all about so what, what, what socialism is about. Well, I, I, should, I should ask him about the chromosome 
Y and X. Can you like believe in that science? Or can you like transmute the X into Y and Y into X? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask him that. But anyway, there, was, there were his views. And there, he was not, there was not isolated views. Most of these people in communist party ra- running socialist Poland had similar beliefs. Some were even more extreme. So they didn't mind murder people. This was, was nothing unusual that at that time people were either disappearing from the street or after short trials executed in yeah. those 1940s and 50s, 19, late 40s and 50s and executed in prison within a few days. And uh, in their short trials and sometimes even in no short trials. And there is many people at the time, I'm, ta- I'm talking about totalitarian socialist country where I grew up. I didn't know much about the, the, the politics at the time. I was just a kid. But people like uh, uh, Stanisław Skalski, one of the Polish heroes at the time, like I'd never heard about him until the socialism fell. So Stanisław Skalski, he was the Polish, high, the highest scoring Polish ace in Battle of Britain and Battle on the West, a fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he returned to Poland, he was promptly sentenced to death and was on four years on the death row until I think uh, 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 Churchill and the United States kind of got the wind of it and they demand his release. So he was commuted from death sentence after I think years on the death row to like 28 years, years prison sentence and eventually he was released. But this is how this socialist system operates. Anything that is not aligned with socialism or the ideology, they will change. There was like the monuments in Poland. They were either toppled, the history books were rewritten, and even Polish eagle was his crown stolen. Because um, that's actually, I got into fight with this one of these army, Polish army guys uh, during the communist times, mm-hmm. where uh, I had to have a stamp that I am not being, uh, armies doesn't want me to serve in the Polish military before I emigrated to the United States, before I escaped basically from there. So I had to go get that stamp. And uh, so when, when I went to this military office, this guy looked at me and said, young people like you, they should be serving in a Polish military under this Polish eagle. Well, I was very quick to point out to him that first, he's not the Polish eagle. The, that dude up there hanging doesn't have a crown. And his crown was stolen by Bolsheviks. Actually, the entire Polish eagle was stolen by Bolsheviks, sent on Siberia. And that eagle of yours is, has nothing to do with Poland. That's Bolshevik version of Polish eagle. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? This guy almost like he's from his mouth, uh, from his mouth. He was stomping, screaming, yelling at me, but he had to sign it. So he signed it. I, when I was leaving that office, I could still hear, hear him stomping and screaming in his office up there, you know? Uh, so that's how how socialism works. That's how socialism in Poland worked. You had all the time, there was something, well, if you even, and another very pervasive thing uh, where I was growing up in Poland was, if you mention anything that you might be discontent with socialism, that was not Brandon that you are just, you oppose socialism. That was Brandon, you are anti-Polish. You try to overthrow Polish government by force and, and, and you, are, you are insurrectionist. This is how they brand these people very often. And they were sent to Poland, in Poland, they were sent to prisons, but they were not political prisoners, at least not for socialist states. Everybody knew around the world that Poland and other socialist states hold political prisoners. But in Poland at the time, they say 
guy is a criminal. He broke the law. Law. Nobody is above the law. Even this professor from university, even this engineer from this factory, they broke the law. They are criminals. What law did they break? Well, they spoke out against atrocities of socialism, against those secret killings, against uh, a bad economy, against not having bread on the table every day. So they were branded criminals put in prisons, many of them. I was Eventually, I ended up in the same basket. Yeah, how did you end up in prison? Well, well, it starts way earlier. So when I was in fifth grade, the fifth grade was the time that everybody in Poland was forced to learn Russian language. So I was... Uh, I was not really good at school, and I, and, and I was not really good in Polish, but so I was getting mad. I said, this extra shit that I don't need and I even don't like, I have to learn right now. And they are forcing me to learn. I have no way to opt out of it. So I piped out in the classroom to the teacher, say, hey, um, why do we learn Russian? There's a bunch of people here that don't even speak Polish correctly. And now there's you guys throwing Russian on us. It was not political. It was just like, I, I, just, I was mad. Yeah, I was okay. just mad. Well, I was pulled by my ear, you know, because in Poland there was a custom at the time that you did something wrong, they pull you by your ear and just march you somewhere and sometimes spank you too. So they ran me by the ear. He marched me out. The class got quiet. And he marched me to the principal's office. In principal's office, like, I didn't know. It still was. I said, what is going on? I mean, what's why, 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 why they're so mad? Well, they... They call police. So not only that, they say to bring mother with uh, thing with, with them. So the police went to my mom's school. She was teaching in different school at the time. First, I was going to school where my mom was teaching, but there was the frown upon her. I had to go to different school. So they drove, the police drove to mom to school. They picked her up, basically they detained her. They brought her to the office and started yelling at us. Say, how dare, you know, if you... If you don't instill, this to my mom, if you do not instill more love to socialism, we will do it for you. You're going to lose custody of your kids. We're going to hand the kids to government. Government will take care of it. So, you know, my mom was terrified. She was scared. But it was the first time. And this is from then on. I remember very vivid. Like every time I was going to school, my mom said, no politics. Don't say anything because they will break up our family. And they did. There's many families who were just in Poland at the time broke up like this. So I, she said, like, do not, do not say anything. Every day I'm going to school, say, be careful what you say because government is watching. Because government is watching. And that was like ingraining me. But I was getting mad too. And then I got involved <clears throat> a little bit more into it because when I started questioning, what is going on? Who are these people? How come the police, I cannot say what I want to say. Right. Uh, and so I will start learning. And then my uncle, Uncle Adam, oh, the great guy, when my father was gone, he was like a role model for me too. And, uh, and kind of like, uh, if I was disagreeing with my mom, uh, he was the guy who made me agree with my mom. You know, like, okay, now you agree? Yes. <laughs> so so <clears throat> he had the business. He was making bricks and cedar blocks in his little tiny factory. But his work ethic was so high. He he worked so hard. You know, his hands, like I have a big hands, but his hands were like my biceps. They were, mm. you, when you grab his hand, you couldn't wrap around right. it because he was working himself into oblivion, working these bricks, the, the things. And so the government came in because 
his quality of work was so high, so good, that people stopped buying from other factories of the, the, the bricks, the cedar blocks, and they belong to party members. So the parties, the communist parties step in and say, well, you need to scale down. You cannot make this many bricks and, and cedar blocks because you are hurting these other businesses. You make too much. Right. So he said, well, I can't do it because I can't afford it. Uh, to, to do it. He bought himself a truck that he was delivering, loading, unloading. He's a one-man show. And so what they did <clears throat> is when they, when they told him to scale down, he, he said, no, they sent these groups of young Turks that uh, uh, Polish Communist Party maintained. They're like, no, they know that. We don't know anything about them. But there were those kids in the factories or from universities. They were like indoctrinated and they were like already on the fast track to the to the government or somewhere, communist government. So they sent them and they, um, so they start calling my uncle fascist and Nazi because he had a business. So we show you the Nazi this. And they would call themselves uh, uh, anti-fascists. They, they hate fascism. Yeah. So, so when you <clears throat> later listen in the, in the, on the news, the fake news media in Poland, you hear, well, these people who hate fascism, they went to this man who is known as a, who is being called fascist and Nazi, and basically they explained it to him not to be fascist and Nazi. How did they do it? They just beat him up. They destroyed his equipment and, and, and just and told him if he, if he does it again, if he doesn't listen, he, he, they will do it again until he un started understanding uh, socialism a little bit better. My uncle didn't. He, he, he rebuilt it. And the things repeat himself three times. The third time when he rebuilt his machine, but it was the last time because he already ran out of resources. He went to police, complained, so they arrested him, and they beat him up and throw him out on the street. So that was the first time that I started really being concerned what society are we living in. And uh, so he told me how to listen to Radio Free Europe, Voice of America, BBC, and this is what I was listening. But the, 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 the caveat is that you could go to prison at the time or, or the governor would can come the governor would come down on you if they knew that you are listening to these radio stations so and you have to listen loud because right. because the the the, uh, the east the, the east european country the warsaw park countries had those big towers uh, uh with their all sole purpose was it to drown the <clears throat> The, the radio waves coming from the BBC, from Voice of America, from Radio Free Europe. So whenever you listen to it, you can hear this woo, woo, oh. woo. So to hear anything, you have to crank it up a little oh, bit. But yeah. then if you had the wrong neighbor, you may end up in prison. So my mom was panicking. My mom was like, okay, if you listen to it, hear the pillows. I think she brought all the pillows she could find in the house. So when I was listening to it under pillows, you know, with this little transistor radio and try to and, and try to make sense of it. What the eye opener. What the eye opener. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. This is what I learned about started learning about Stanislav Skalski, this Polish uh, ace of Great Britain. I was learning about Witold Pilecki. It was another resistance. Uh, Poland had the largest resistance movement, our largest underground army in entire Europe at the time. It was a home army, the called home army. So <clears throat> that uh, Captain Pilecki, he was one of them. He volunteered to be captured by Gestapo so he can get to concentration camp because there was things that was going on in concentration camps. West did not believe. They knew like somebody, eyewitnessing right. the reports. 
So he went up there. He not only wrote the reports and was able to escape, he built a, he built a movement up there also with the resistance movement within in the, the Auschwitz. In the Auschwitz. Oh, yeah. Those are those German camps. Yeah. I'm talking about Second World War now yeah. because the, yeah. the, that's the history that I never learned, that Poles never learned. I never heard about Captain Pilecki, the, the, about this Polish hero. And uh, <clears throat> so what happened is he, later he part, participated in the Warsaw Uprising. And, uh, and he survived. So when he returned, eventually, the, I think he ended up in the captivity again after the Warsaw Uprising when it failed because, you know, Russians decide just to wait until it fails. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> he was uh, very promptly arrested. Uh, they ac- accused of spying for the West and shot in the prison. Now, <clears throat> in the, even today, People are still looking for his grave. Nobody knows. So people are still finding graves of opponents of socialism around the Poland till today. I think the last the last grave they found, I think, three people. It was maybe like a year ago. It was all over Polish news. I think it was a year ago. But there's nothing unusual. They still look for the graves. They still look for the mass graves. That's socialism. That's communists run by communists. That's how that life looked like there. So how I got eventually in prison, so I was getting drawn to it more and more. Yeah. And eventually, Poles had enough of it too. I mean, the, I want the, the, the demands were I want food first. But then say I want food and freedom was other next. And they created first in and of any of Warsaw Pact countries, first organization independent from Communist Party in that country. There was Solidarity Trade Movement. The Solidarity was started as a trade union, which turned into the social movement. One third of adult Polish population belonged to that movement opposing socialism. So socialists could not, at the time, uh, do anything, do much about it. People were... Uh, People just people were ready to hang them from the Latin post. That's how much they hate communists and socialists there. And eventually, they knew they're not gonna win this battle, so they start making lists of people to arrest. And on December 13 at midnight, they start raiding the homes in entire Poland. They shut down the radios, TV, uh, telephone lines. There was nothing. Everything went dead at midnight, and they start raiding houses. They arrested. Well, different estimates. They are from 20,000 people to 60,000 people in one night, all around the One planet. night. One night, yeah. So because they had already those lists prepared. Yeah. And, uh, and this is why, like, who was not arrested right away uh, was arrested later. The first batch, the first wave of arrests in Poland, they, the, the communists were explaining that we are not arresting these people. We just, uh, just for these people's safety, we want to put them into internment camps. They are internees. They are not prisoners. They are internees. Well, sitting in prison, right? Right. <laughs> but so w- once the first wave went through, the rest of us, like, we need to do something about it. And me being 21 years old at the time, it's like, we need to do something. Like, I, was, uh, I was immortal. I felt immortal. So yeah, let's do it. So we start printing this underground uh, bulletin, like a little leaf- leaflet. Mm-hmm. And then we describe what is going on in my city, what happened to particular prisoners or where they might be. And um, of course, then eventually we got caught. 
because like we didn't know how to do it. We didn't know much about how to work these right. things. So we're very naive, and uh, that's how I end up in prison. So I got from, uh, uh, the, the, I was sentenced by the military court. There was a court martial. I was not military, but the, by the, that time, the, the judicial system was basically put on hold, on hold and military was the, 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 the judges. So it was like no jury or nothing. It was like three guys, three uh, colonels sitting there and just say, right. in my case, it was a three-year prison sentence. There's this. And, and we're told to society, to, to everybody in Poland, that we are criminals. We are criminals because we broke the law. Yeah, well, you know, there was communist law. We broke it because we wanted truth and food and bread. Right. So, yeah. But was, so, did you serve the entire three years? No, no. So, what happened is John Paul II, Pope, mm-hmm. was planning a visit to Poland again. They was, wanted him to come. Pope. John Paul, was, was he Polish? Yes. Yeah, he was, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, he was planning to come to Poland. And they needed him, the communists, because their the, the uh, economy was tanking. Mm-hmm. They needed a loan from the West. They need somebody to kind of like speak for the for the uh, regime to help them obtain more loans from the West. But he said, I'm not coming until you release political prisoners. Yeah. So this is where they started trickling us out of prisons and get out and getting out of prisons. So I was one of them released. There were some people who were sitting much longer time. But most of us was released and left uh, when... John Paul II demanded that. But the funny story is, you know, because John Paul II came, when he came to Poland, he came twice, 178, and they did all these things, started this uprising against yeah. socialist oppression, yeah. about socialist terror. So when they, <clears throat> when he came here for that first time, I was, if you are watching TV by the fake news media, you would think, I think nobody knows that this dude. He just show up with a funny robe and funny hat. It's like nobody there to listen to him. Yeah. And you can see maybe five or 10 people, maybe a little crowd of people. Well, when communism, socialism fell, if you can see archives now, there was not a few people. There were millions. Yeah. There's whole city blocks. There's some, there's some images from his visits to different towns. The, the, the full, the big square in the middle of the town. And streets around this thing are all filled with masses. Mm-hmm. But you would never know if you listen to the socialist fake news media. I remember, <laughs> I, I actually remember that because I remember the pictures of him visiting uh, Poland. And I think it was after, because there was before and then after. After, yes. Yeah, so, um, and I remember it, he was inundated. Like hundreds of thousands of people were showing up. And it was fairly controversial for him to be appointed the Pope because of where he was from at the time. It was not so much controversial for the uh, church, Roman Catholic Church. It was very controversial for the entire communist bloc in Eastern Europe because they thought he's going to create a war. He's going to free these slaves like myself and make these slaves aware that they are living in socialist slavery. Right. So they were afraid of him very much. Uh, uh, Atta, Akta, what's his name? This uh, Turkish gunman who actually shot him. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there are connections to the uh, Soviet Union, uh, KGB, and, uh, and other things. They never. Yeah, they, they're, they're terrified of John. They're Paul. terrified. Like, yes. Terrified of John Paul. And, yes. uh, yeah, and, and he was also, I think, you know, really supported by the Reagan administration, and, yes. and obviously the 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 American political institution and the Reagan administration yes. because he was counter-Soviet, counter-KGB, essentially yes. countering the narrative. So yes. there, it's like 
and I and I'm trying to recall all of it because it's been a long time since I've thought about it. But uh, yeah, it's very it's, it's interesting how controversial and honestly how popular he was because his yes. popularity oh, was yes. I mean, people incredible. were looking for him to looking to him for some guidance. Yeah, they lived under socialism socialist boot for almost what forty years. Yeah. So, so they they want they they wanted to get out of it. They want they want nothing to do with socialism because we were hungry. We didn't mm-hmm. have a they saw everything upside down. But what was infuriating people at the time too, when I was growing up, that if you listen to the fake news, Polish fake news, fake news media, would hear Polish economy is the most the powerful economy here in the entire Europe. We are have a, everything is so great, it's fantastic. I was like. I have a bread with, don't have a, have a butter for my bread. I just have a little bit of sugar sprinkled on it. And you bastard, you tell me that I'm, that we are so happy, yeah. we have a, so lucky to live in this socialist crap. But they were like this. If you read the, if you read media, the fake news media from that time, you would think the Polish was the greatest economy and Polish was doing the awesome, fantastic. Just never mind political prisoner. Prisoners, political murders, assassinations, and and all the fake censorship and all the censorship. So if you overlook that, man, yeah. But I have to admit, for communists like my father, the life was good. I mean, they had everything. Right. They had like the uh, awesome. They were doing. They were doing good. They were doing really good. And uh, just for us, this common folks was like not like with with my family. I. I did you talk to your father after the age of seven? Like, yes, what, I did because did. actually we, it came out to the point that my mom couldn't afford to have us all three uh-huh. and in a little tiny two rooms, right. so one bedroom apartment. So I, we were older already. <clears throat> I caused some problems. So my mom sent me to, they agreed that I will, I will go to father. He didn't like it, but he said, okay. And uh, so I, I went there. So I spent that year with him. This is why those uh, dialogues that I was mentioned at the beginning of it, that, you know, we have to make people like socialists. Those yeah. people who don't like socialism, they are dumb. They don't understand the benefits of socialism. How old were you then when you went to I was a like year, I think, year and a half. He sent me back very quick. The, the, when I show up on the doorstep, he actually took me, but he didn't tell his wife and, 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 and her son that I'm coming. So when he came pick me up, we show up on the doorstep. This is where she find out that I'll be living with them. <laughs> so it was a like big panic. He said, what? <laughs> I, was like, I, I, I didn't like them from the beginning. So she was always giving me hard times and I couldn't fight with her. So I was beating up this her son all the time and giving him hard time. How old so was he? What, what was he the was difference like in age? I think two years. How, so how old were you at the time when you lived with him? I was, uh, I think, 16. Oh, so you were teens. Yeah, yeah, teens. I was, no, I was like 14 years old, yeah. actually. He was 12 or 13 at the time. But, you know, his life was good. The food that they had. Yeah, yeah. There were all kinds of, I you know, sausage, the ham, cheese, salad, and the right. mayonnaise. Yeah, It was yeah. so good. And uh, so, yeah, that's that was something very different for me, but I still hated it. But, but I learned to deal with this lack of food because, like, when I was eight, nine years old, my brother learned how to make uh, uh, French fries. Just play potato, cut them, throw them in some oil. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I didn't like fries too much. Uh, my sister learned how to cook something, too. So for herself, they, they were doing okay. But I was going to school with this little 
bread and butter sometimes, and sometimes just bread, a little bit of sugar and tea poured on it. Or there was no tea, it was just water. But they were, I was not the most, the, the most poor. I didn't know, the, I didn't think I was poor. But those kids that didn't have anything to eat. But so I didn't want kids to see that I have, like, especially those rich kids from communist party members' homes. They were bringing like those, those sandwiches like I ate later in my father's house. Yeah. So I lost it one day. I said, you know what? How about just like, ask this, get this guy for a bite? But instead of ask, I just woke up to him. I took his sandwich and just started eating. I said, hmm, this is really good. This is really good. He just like stared at me. So I said, okay, I have an idea. So tomorrow you bring two sandwiches and one for me, one for you. And if you don't, I will eat your sandwich. You'll be hungry. <laughs> so, so he didn't protest a lot because I was kind of bullied by this time. So um, he was bringing two sandwiches. And uh, I, I had a great, I, I, I went to the point that I told my mom, um, mom, just, I don't need to eat at school. I'm kind of, I'm okay. I, I don't need it. She was kind of relieved because she doesn't have to. Yeah, but of if she knew, oh God, I think she would, she would beat me up. She would spank me, took me to school, make apologize to the kid, and then make me pay for his sandwiches somehow. I don't know how because right. we didn't have money. But um, but she never found out. But then I see others. This is where I start also making myself more aware of what's going on around. I see that in my class, kids who just didn't bring anything. Or some of them, mm, I spot sitting in the corners and quietly just eating their sandwich. Then you want to see other people that they are poor, uh-huh. that they don't have anything. So, and I tell you, there was so, the, the poverty was so bad. I mean, the poverty is everywhere. And there was not perva- most pervasive things that I've seen in socialist state, but there was one of them. So one time there, I missed the bus. So I was going with my, uh, with one of these kids home. And he, he was like, uh, I was walking and he said, oh, I'm living right here. So I just say bye here. I said, well, wait a minute. Let me just go see how you live. I said, okay. So I walked to his house. It was a room, maybe this size, bed by the wall. On that side was a sink, like the janitorial sink, table, and one chair. So I said, that's where you live? Yeah, so where is your mom sleeping? I'll sleep with mom in the bed. Okay. And it was so dirty, so nasty, because the cigarettes were everywhere. But it was like, so where do you have uh, your dishes? Uh, Those are my dishes on the table. So... This is how they lived. And it's from then on, I say, look, at least I will, uh, I will help you with the sandwiches. And they say, okay. So that might, we, I hunted another Communist Party member's son. But this one, who was a little bit resisting, I beat him up and see so got sandwiches. <laughs> so he, he was bringing sandwiches. So I said, well, let's cook up somebody else. So the, 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 I think on the third one or fourth one, finally the, the kid went to home and started complaining about it. We are stealing our sandwiches. And so and parents came to to school next day, and I got the wind of it, so I just took the guy in the, in the toilet, just beat the shit out of him up there. I said, you say, you point the finger, you will never come out next time from the toilet. And, and he didn't. So when, when, he, uh, when, he, uh, when parents show up in the class, he was supposed to identify me as a, that extortionist, uh, extorting his sandwiches. Uh, he just like, oh, no, mom, there's like, there's no, none of these guy people here, none of, the, none of them. There was, I think maybe from older class. So they went through every class and he was like, couldn't find the guy who was stealing his sandwiches. So parents finally say, okay, we don't know who it is, but you, he's, you, you are not going to get two sandwiches. Okay, but just one sandwich, just don't let anybody eat. Well, as soon as he bring the one sandwich, but not the other one, 
we just split the sandwich with him. So, <laughs> so you got a half sandwich, half sandwich, got this kid right here. And so I was like, like a Robin Hood at the time in the, <laughs> in the elementary school. But yeah, that was the reality of life in under socialism, uh, uh, socialist uh, economy, you know. It's, how, you know. how do you go from, you know, the, your, your teens to being a political prisoner and then how old are you? Like, wh when are you put in jail? At what age? So after that martial law, when I was telling you that I was sentenced by uh, the military yeah. court, tribunal, military tribunal, to three years of prison sentence, that's what they, they put me in jail. And how old were you when you were 20, sent to jail? I was jail? 21. You were 21 when you went to yeah. jail. Mm -hmm. And then how old were you when you got out? I was 23. 23. And then how did, how did you go from being a political prisoner to, to the America. United States? How did so, that happen? So when I came out from prison, I tried to resume my life. So I mm -hmm. said, okay, now I need to find a job or something. I need to go into uh, start doing my... Yeah. Taekwondo, kickboxing, yeah. and is that what you were doing? Yeah, you're yeah. fighting. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I was pretty good at it. actually yeah. on the first championship of Poland Taekwondo. I knocked the guy out. So the guy who was were fighting for the first place, yeah. and I knocked him out. But I had the, had the warnings for brutal fights from previous fights. So they say, okay, we need to be disqualified. So he's going to take the first place. You're going to take the second place. The funny thing, mm -hmm. so I'm I'm standing there, and they, the, you know the judge comes in to raise the hand. So he just comes first, like, grab my hand, but just like, okay. And the winner is so-and-so. He's laying unconscious. <laughs> so so that's, that's uh, yeah, so I was pretty good at it. And I, I describe in my book, The Pledge to America, you know, like, we were fighting at the time, not only on the, in the, in the, in the gym. We trained outside. We used to look, seek people out, like these bombs or somebody. Really? And, and Yeah, and we didn't have, I mean, I'm not proud of it, but at that time, there was a reality of life. Mm -hmm. You want to be good, you had to fight. So, so we, since those times in 1980s, there was no cameras. We, yeah. Nobody of us could afford camera. So it was like almost four or five of us with the notebooks. And, and then, you know, you just start beating the guy up and they were just making notes. Okay, the, his kick was too low. He just, he didn't sweep this guy. He could sweep him out. He missed the punch. So then we're debriefing. So, okay, okay, you did this, this, this. Sometimes we reenact re that fight, how it yeah. was. And and I guess it worked because we became so good that later there was no challenge to beat, beat up single bomb. We were just looking for two or three of them. Right. And, you know, like we see sometimes like them in Poland at the time were pop very popular. There's little booths with the beer so we can stop and have a beer. Yeah. So we just woke up. You see like four or five people standing there. And you just grab the guy, take the bottle of him, spin the bottle of him, <laughs> give it back to him. You know, you have a fight on your yeah, hands yeah. then. So then you beat four of them or five of them, even if, if, if it was there. You know, if we couldn't handle it, we just like other guys step in. So we were Got safe. It. But but it's like came to the point that people in my city would become aware that there's a group of people holding, walking around and beating other people up. Um, so it was hard to find later people to beat up. So we were... <laughs> We're, we're drawing lots. You know, like, like sometimes, because we're like, okay, my group. You know, it's like, okay, but if two guys say my group or I'm beating them up, then it's like, well, who's going to beat them up? Then you just, okay, we draw the lots. So we draw the lots, who's going to beat them up? And that's, so there was like a, but it was a reality of life in that time in Poland. Please remember, uh, there was like, what, 
uh, I was born 15 years after the Second World War. Right. There's less distance than we have today from September 11. Yeah. So everything that fresh, the Second World everything War. Everything is super fresh. Yeah. Like, the, all the atrocities, yeah. all, the, all the killings are still fresh. I mean, fresh. there's 22 million Russians who were killed in World War II right. just alone. Right. I mean, how many Polish people? Right. So so the, the, the violence is built in. It was kind of like built in. So fights on the street, like nobody cared about it. Like, you know, you fight on the street, people yeah. just go on the other side of the street, walk right. around you and, and just keep going. Police call police for that. Like, unless you kill somebody there. Like, if you beat somebody up, if they are handy somewhere, yeah, they will show up and just wag the finger at you and say, get out. But, uh, so we never worry about that stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is what I learned too, you know, that violence always works. If it didn't work for you, it means you did not apply enough of it. Right. And this is something that stayed with me for a long time. So this is why people ask me like, so when you came to America, how was about that? This is the transformation. This is the things that I started learning about American people. I started learning about America. And this is why I'm a different person today. I'm a better person today than I was before. But you know, that was the, life, the reality of life there in socialist state, socialist system under the totalitarian oppressive government. So how but, do you how do you go though from being where you were to mm. coming to America? Like, I, okay, without, so after I was released from prison, yeah, and, and again I was mentioning about the trainings that we go. So I resume my try to resume my life, and what happened quite often that I was we we're walking out from the gym, walking on the streets, the car pulls in. The bunch of dudes in civilian clothes jump out with the badges, so you go with us. They right. got me throwing the car. And then we drove. We drove, 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 like till two o'clock in the morning, in out inside the town, outside the town. So I was afraid that one day I don't come back from these trips. Yeah. Then and I think there was maybe like getting people used to it. So I went to US Embassy. I said, like, I I I don't feel safe anymore. I I, I need to leave. I went to US Embassy and asked for help. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to bring all the documents and stuff. I did. And I, I think like within three months, I had a promissory visa for, to emigrate as a political refugee. And this is where I went to this uh, uh, military office I just described earlier because I had to get those stamps right. allowing me to, you know, so I, can, so I could leave Poland and pissed off these army guys up there. But they were still post-communist. Uh, that was a communist still army. That was like nothing. And... Uh, <clears throat> So eventually, I came to America, and uh, and then so once you, you you fly to the states, and then where do you land? So I didn't fly right away to the United States. Did. Actually, the the America had already programmed for refugees for uh -huh. people like like me. So I flew to Germany, and there was a center run I think by the State Department that they told us about America. You know what to expect, how to uh, there was. Nothing that you can, uh, uh, that make you great American, but there was some insight because none of us knew how America right. works, how it looks inside. All we knew is that this is the country that people are free. They can live the way they want to live their lives. The government is not stepping on them, not telling them what they can, what they cannot do. And as long as they are good with each other, as long as they are not uh, uh, attacking other fellow citizens, they are, they are free to leave. Mm -hmm. So that, that we knew by this time. So in Poland, in, in entire Warsaw Pact countries, the, the, the America was always that beacon of freedom that people look up to say that. And I remember when I was in Warsaw with my father, I was thinking, going, to, going from school, 
near American embassy. I always like to stop and read those uh, advert, those, those, they have like glass mm-hmm. cases where they have all the information. I love to read and I was remember, yeah, why Poland cannot be like this, you know? Why do we have to live under this oppression, these nasty, hateful communists? And, and so when I came to Germany, and this also is like stay very close to my heart, they never ask us oh, what you can do for America. The only thing we're asked is, you know, they were teaching us about America, you know, what, how people think, maybe you know, like what to expect, when, what to, you know, not to do. Yeah. But, um, but they ask us about only one thing. Say, you know, when you come to America, what we ask you to do is respect our customs, respect our law, and respect our citizens. So, yeah. So you go from Germany and then... And then, so from Germany, oh, that's funny actually the story too, because they, they, you know, I was waiting for my assignment to the yeah. America where I come. And they call me to the office and say like, where, they say like preferences about America, where would you like to settle down? Mm-hmm. So I say, well, I'm sick and tired of being freaking cold. So <laughs> anywhere where it's hot, yeah, yeah. where it's hot. I yeah. say, uh, how about Memphis, Tennessee? Do you know anything about Memphis, Tennessee? I say, well... I know that Elvis Presley was born there, but nothing else. I don't you knew know. that? I knew yeah. that, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Well, and it was yeah, not really yeah. good to know in the, in the communist country. They didn't right. like Elvis Presley there. Yeah. So you couldn't listen to his music like uh, openly. Uh, but um, so when they, uh, when, they, when they say Memphis, Tennessee, first like, is it hot up there? Is it warm up there? Yeah. It's always hot. So sign me up. <laughs> I'm going there. So there's, and then they flew me to, uh, to Memphis, Tennessee. This is where I came with the bag of clothes right. and six cents. I had like $20 with me, but I spent them in Germany buying tape recorder. I always dreamed to have a little, like a tape player, you know, so I can yeah, listen. Yeah. So that I was not like a player. So you have to record your own music, but I never had one. So I just went and I spent the $20. So I, when I landed in New York, I had a six Phoenix of this German value in my pocket in the bag of clothes. <clears throat> so then they flew me to... Uh, uh, to um, Memphis, and there was already church waiting for me and American people. They took me in. They, they, this is where. So, do you have an American family that? You, yes, they took okay, me. Gotcha. American family, so yeah, I yeah. live with them. Actually, no. What were I, they like? They were like older church-going people. Mm-hmm. They were <clears throat> very nice, very, let's say, very Christian people, mm-hmm. and um, they, you know, I couldn't communicate. So yeah, they bought me a dictionary. I say, okay, well, so that's like, you can read this. And I want to so appease them so much that I'm using it. Sometimes they took me on a ride around Memphis, different places. So one of those rides, I had my dictionary with me. <clears throat> and, you know, I tried to impress them, show yeah. the gratitude that I have it, I'm using it. So as we drove, we're like, this is three. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, good job. This is woman. Yes. This is house. So we just go up there and yeah, just pointing yeah. out, and I see a black person walking on the street. I'm like, this is a n-. But, you know, just, they, they jam. I mean, we almost wrecked that car. <laughs> She's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know that something is wrong. She's like, I'm showing that, that, yeah, yeah. that you bought me. Yeah, that's yeah. the word here. That's what translates. So I have this dictionary today. I'm not today, but in my home where she took it, took the pen of her purse, scratched the N-word, and wrote black people. Wow. Told me never to use that they word had, again. That was in a dictionary. That was in dictionary, yeah. Whoa. So I have the dictionary at home still. Actually, I'm going to post it online on my website. So yes, that's, uh, that's, 
But I mean, there were so many, uh, so many things that I had to learn very fast. I remember I was invited to first uh, family type of church yeah. pool party. So I was so honored. I was like, yes, you know, that's so fantastic. So on the on those uh, Sunday after mass, I went home and picked my the best swimming trunks I could get. I just didn't understand that Polish swimming trunks we call today banana hammocks. <laughs> they were, you were in a speedo. Were, yeah, it yeah, was like yeah. A, I was like tight. Yeah, in Poland at the time in was the tighter speedo. The better the, you look. The, yeah, yeah. So there was a bunch of kids, you know, the barbecue, the parents, yeah, all yeah. the people are cooking here. I'm strolling in my my speedo, banana hammock. Yeah. yeah, speedo. I was I remember like I heard the gasps. <laughs> like, they start I, I look, they start ushering people oh. outside the pool. Like, come on, kids, come on, kids. Everybody time, to the go. Pool. time to go. <laughs> so they took me aside and say, like, oh man, like, uh, took me aside and they gave me like a big shorts. To wear the they, like, they were fitting me, but they were like up to They're my like, knees. Like basketball shorts, like, oh, like giant shorts. Or, or, yeah, like, yeah, like swimming yeah, trunks. Yeah, okay. And, and so in Poland at the time, only like old, old people wear those type of shorts so they can drop them very easily if they need to, right? It's like a bathing uniform almost. It's not even a, it's not even a swim yeah, trunks. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I didn't protest. I knew that something was wrong because they were rushing these children outside of the pool. So <laughs> and, and yeah, so that's. Uh, this is one thing with English. Oh, God, I still have a problem with English. But at that time, they, in Polish language, word, word TH, like thank you, mm -hmm. does not exist. And I had a hard time. I was spitting. I couldn't say it. So one of these Polish guys say, hey, just say thank you very quick. Thank you. It's easy because F exists. So yeah. you say thank you. They won't even pay attention. Yeah, yeah. You, you're good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, I forgot that, you know, it was still a new language. So after one of the mass, one of the churches, it was not that church, it was a different church, they invited me and wanted the parishioners to meet this Polish immigrant and a former political prisoner in communist country. I'm saying communist, they were socialist state, to, to meet. So I went to mass up there after the mass on Sunday. They took us in the back room where people just gathered around me. This uh, pastor came out. She came out with a bunch of cookies, plates, just walk straight to me. And he said, this is the, our, the Thomas. And so we have a, a, a new immigrant to the United States. And she hands me this, put the plates. So I'm taking this cookie and try to say this. And this guy who taught me this, like, yeah, yeah. Me, right? say, yeah. So I said, well, F you. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, and I knew I was say something wrong. It got quiet. It was like, uh, that's not good. <laughs> this guy just disappeared <laughs> in the crowd. And then it's the, um, the, the older gentleman came out. It's like, what he put a, a hand on my sh shoulder and said, like, what he is trying to say is, thank you. And he looks at me, thank you. And I was like, thank you. You know, trying to say. So that's constant. You know, I still have a struggle. Like even today, like my wife, she has a list of things that I'm not allowed to say near her in public. Because like, you know, puss, yeah. That's one of them. And uh, I almost got I almost got fired from being a husband because there was one time when the, uh, I think I was like, hey, can you fix me a dessert or something? And um, she said, what do you want to have? I said, I would like to eat Kimberly today. <laughs> She's like, who is, who is Kimberly? I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, who is the Kimberly you want to eat? I was like, you know, well, it turned out to be 
I didn't know it, but that's not Kimberly. It was Kimberly. Yeah. But it sounds <laughs> familiar to my ear. So yeah, I, I, I still have a struggle. I still, I'm still not perfect, but I'm trying to. So why, you know, why do you make the transition from where you are in Memphis? And I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. You go from there. And did did you did you learn about? The, the teams? Not right away. Or, or were you just joining the Navy? Were you just I joining just, the Navy? Well, that was not quite so. Um, I didn't know about military at the time, anything. For me, Navy, Marines, Air Force, Coast Guard, it was the same. It was just the same. Army. Yeah, yeah. It was just Army. So, yeah. so what happened is I became U.S. citizen at the time. So the American citizenship was bestowed on me and gave me the same rights like you have. Yeah. Like anybody here in America, and and I am American now. I can be just like you guys. So it had just happened that the Pers- first Persian War broke out. So I say, okay, I'm American. This is my country. Yeah. It is my moral obligation to support my country. I cannot build jobs because I have no resources. I don't have, and I don't know how to do it. But I can fight for America. Mm-hmm. So as ju- I will go and join military. And this is how I joined. I didn't know about SEALs at the time. I knew that uh, uh, it was not that. Um, so what happened first, I fill out this selective enlistment, yeah. se- selective enlistment card, mm-hmm. whatever, the draft. Yeah, the selective reserve, right? Selective yeah, reserve, yeah, yeah. Right, yes. Yeah. I thought it's like, say, America's at war. I fill it up, send it to them, and like next week I'll just go to war. And <laughs> so I sent it out. I came, I packed my stuff. I was, I was living with a bunch of skydivers. I said, where are you, Drago, going? I said, I'm you going to war. your stuff. Yeah. I say, where are you going? I'm going to war. Say, what war? I say, the Persian Gulf War. I was like, okay. Uh, uh, why would you go there? I mean, this is a war. You can get killed. I say, America needs me because I'm American. This is my country. I will fight for it. And um, so they're like, okay, so what did you do? Well, I say, I, say, I filled this contract. Say, oh, okay, you have a contract. It's like, came out the letter. Well, thank you, but no thank you. You are too old. This is for young kids, like 18 years yeah. old, that you just fill it up to right, send it. Yeah. And uh, that's not the contract. So they just laugh at me, but say, okay, what you need to do, if you really want to do it, go to recruiting office. So you were living with skydivers. Skydivers. Were you skydiving? Yeah, I was. Oh. Teaching, I was by this time. Uh, I have an awesome life. Yeah. I mean, I had a job. I was a mechanic by this time. Really? I was fully established. I was Mercedes mechanic. Yeah. So I, I was going to Mercedes schools, to sub schools yeah. in in different cities. I was getting all these certification, yeah. good pay, life was great. Got into skydiving, and by this time I was AFF jump master. Actually, I was I was already teaching skydiving. Holy shit. So I said, well, and so my intention was never join military and stay there. I just want to go to war, yeah. help out, and just come back, resume my great life that I yeah. had. And it just never happened. I just stayed. But so when I when I went to the so I went to army office and they start processing my paperwork, it took a while. And I was like anxious because like well, the war will be over by the time you guys finish it. I was like, no, no, don't worry about it. And then happened that. At my drop zone, when I used to skydive and teach skydiving, uh, Navy SEALs came in leapfro- leapfrogs oh, yeah. to do demonstrational jump in Memphis. And that's all. They, of course, came to our drop right. zone, to my extra jumps. No, and then we start talking about this. They say, no, no, no. You need to go to Army guys, take this paperwork, and go next door to the Navy guys. Tell them that you want to be a Navy SEAL. I was like, Navy SEAL, I don't know what it is. but So they start told- telling me a little bit about it. 
And I, the, the more they tell me, the more I was fascinated mm. and more fired up. So it was a very awkward moment for me to go to these guys. I made friends, the army guys up yeah. there, and tell them, well, sorry, but I'm not joining you guys. I'm going next door. But uh, so I was like, I was apprehension doing it, but the Navy guys were prompting me. So I went, grabbed the paperwork, brought it to them. And uh, they look at my paperwork and say, well, I tell you this, you are like almost 28, I was going 32. You are like four years over the limit to be in a, to join yeah. SEAL training. So we cannot guarantee you that. But I can tell you this from my experience, he says, if you, so you sign, when you sign this paperwork, you go to boot camp, they make a SEAL out of you. I have no doubt about it. <laughs> it's like, okay, no problem. Um, it was not my goal to be a Navy SEAL at the time. I just wanted to serve America. Right. And that's something that I say, okay, if I don't become a SEAL, I will go and fight for America, any capacity they need me. So I then uh, 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 say, okay, I signed the paperwork. The funny things, because they, they were very fair with me. Actually, they told me that uh, they asked me, instead of sending me as a design, undesignated mm -hmm. uh, to the Navy, they say, well, do you have something you would like to do? So any job in the, in the, do you have any job in the uh, Navy you would like to do? I, was like, I didn't know anything about the jobs in the Navy, but I say, do you have something with parachutes, you know, skydiving? Yeah. Parachute rigger. I say, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that parachute rigger has nothing to do with skydiving. Yeah, zero. Yeah. I, I was working on ejection seats, <laughs> all, the, all the stuff. But, you know, I didn't despair. Yeah. I, was, I was fine. That's I was cool. So, but they told me, like, if you want to go to this school, this school starts in like two months or like, I'm like, I think like three months, you have to go to boot camp now. So we have got your, uh, now we just wait when we, we already have everything approved. So we need to find the date when you're going to join. But if you want to go to this PR school, you have to leave uh, uh, next Friday or Saturday. I think it was Saturday because we flew on the airplane. So, so I say, okay. And they, um, so they processed me. So on Thursday, I went, I was sworn to the late entry program. And then a couple of days later, I left the boot camp. But first I called my girlfriend at the time and I say, look, I'm joining the Navy. I say, I kind of know about it, but yeah, what about? I said, but I'm doing it next week. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, this is not the news. We're going to get married. We need to get married now because uh, if I go to boot camp, you know, and uh, my, yeah. my, so she, we, we, now after a little bit crying and prompting uh, her, crying me, prompting her, we ran, ran to downtown um, Memphis. We found the judge. He married us. He was funny. He was like a nice guy. It's like he was already leaving home. It's like okay, well, I make it a special for you. So we went back. He signed the paperwork, and uh, and uh, we were married. And then next, like next, uh, in a couple of days, I left for boot camp. And then uh, again. I wanted to be a SEAL at the time, but it was not my like most important thing. Yeah. I just wanted to serve. It happened that I passed the test. I couldn't swim. You couldn't swim? Well, I could swim a little bit. I was swimming yeah. this, uh, gotcha. you know, this yeah. kind of mm -hmm. like this. But then I started learning a little bit more about SEALs. I know the swim side stroke. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody who swim side stroke. So I kind of like do whatever I could. But I passed the test in the boot camp. So they, uh, and everything was going good. Say, so, okay, now we need to wait. See if we can secure orders for you to seal training to bots, and uh, happened I had a kidney stone, 
And so I still have this document. I just found it like a couple of weeks ago saying that I'm not eligible for SEAL training because my kidney stone. And I have to wait at least for a year or two before I can apply again. For me, by this time, I would be like six years past the limit. I'll yeah, be able yeah. to do it. Um, but I, I say, okay, well, you know, that, I guess it, didn't, it doesn't mean to be. But I was, I was happy. I said, I'm going to, to war. I'm going to fight a war. I'm going to be a good citizen. I will be a productive citizen. And uh, it was fine with me. So I finished, I graduated from bootcamp as a number one recruit from all these graduating uh, at the time uh, in, my, in my batch of graduating uh, sailors. So I was number one. I got military excellence award. And then I was shipped out to PR school in Millington to be parachute rigger. And this is where, like, I said, well, there's a Navy SEAL on base. His name was Les Barrios, so rest in peace, brother. He, he passed away now. But, um, so I said, doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah. So I to his office, I said, Petty Officer Barrios, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Um, I passed the test in boot camp, but they told me that since I have a kidney stone, I have to wait a year or two, but I'm already past age limit. So is it possible to do maybe something that you can make some... Uh, Help me with becoming a Navy SEAL. He said, okay, I'll write you the chat. You go to medical, bring me your medical record. So I did. I was just like ran up there as fast. I was all sweaty. I came back. Here it is. He said, okay, just lay on the table and leave. We'll just wait outside. So, of course, I was like listening to what's going on up there. I can hear. <laughs> and I said, hey, come on in. So I came in say. Oh, you know what? I was looking to your record. I don't see anything <laughs> about your kidney no. stone. Can you help me find it? So just, yeah, it's right here. Uh, now, maybe, so we're like looking through it. I say, he said, are you sure you had a kidney stone? By this time, I was sure I did. Yeah, so I yeah. said, I don't think I had it. <laughs> and so he said, okay, I'm going to put, you pass the test. I had to pass the test again. And uh, he put them for orders to uh, for me to bats. It was no guarantee, but I had to wait. But because I was doing excellent in bootcamp, I think I was on the top of my class or second uh, in, in PR school. I was really trying yeah. to be good sailor, good American. And uh, <clears throat> this is where I met another guy, Jason Cabell. I don't know if you heard about him. Mm. Him, great guy, Navy SEAL. So we, actually, we went to SEAL training together. Uh, he's a movie producer now and direct, movie director. And uh, so ran with the Devil movie with uh, uh, Nicolas Cage and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, Morpheus. And he's a he's a he, team he, he guy. Created, he's a team guy. Yeah, huh. he created this movie. He produced that movie and uh, and he uh, he directed the movie. He's movie director. Wait, so, which one was it? Uh, Running with the Devil. Oh, with Nicolas, yeah. Uh, Nicolas okay, okay. Cage. Yeah. Uh, Morpheus. Yeah. Yep. So okay. so so. So he was there, and we we'll tried to learn, you know, how okay, we're going to SEAL training. I had no idea. I thought it would be like another prison, but see, I already was in one, so it shouldn't be that bad yeah. for me, this one. <clears throat> because we thought, they lug us up, and six months, we'll be just training, training, training. It's not like that, of course, but I didn't know it. But So we decided, me and Jason, decided to go and learn how to swim. So it was good. And uh, when I, he was like, well, I'm going to make it. I'm the, I'm, 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 I will come out of this training as a SEAL. And I look at him, this guy almost drowned on every lap. So I say, if he is so sure that he's made to the SEAL training with that swim, I'm sure we'll make it too. So we're kind of really like helping each other. And uh, we both didn't swim well, but as we start practicing, you know, 
Petty Officer Barrios was a little bit helping us too. So I became like, not a decent swimmer, but at least I could swim on one side, the side, right. side, stroke, side stroke. And this is how eventually we got orders to SEAL training to Bats. Uh, had to wait a little bit. And, and this is how I ended up in SEAL training. And now it's 91, right? That, that, yeah, this is 1992. 1992. So you go through Buds uh-huh. and then you're, you're signed to four? SEAL Team 2. Two, okay. Yes. And it's even, evens East Coast and odds on the West yes. Coast, right? Yeah. So SEAL Team 2, this my, I did my first deployment there. Mm-hmm. I went through a, a, a STT at the time. So we didn't get the Tridents right away. Jason went to West Coast. We are still best buddies. Really? I, oh, yeah. Yeah, Jason went to West Coast. I went to East Coast. But we are like really good friends. And, um, and so... Uh, went to STT. There's a, the incident that I had with the security clearance. Where they they didn't know that I didn't have it. They didn't know the other guy. He's not even U.S. citizen, and uh, kind of like a little bit complicated, complicated, but not too much. And um, eventually, I deployed to to um, we deployed to Bosnia at the time. The funny thing is, is that you know we were stationed in Brindisi, and we, on the weekend we like to drive drive to Naples. To relax a little bit, right? Yeah, of course. So we were passing by Pompeii, maybe like 16 miles away. And every time we drove so in a hurry to go party that, all right, we're going to do it tomorrow. We're going to visit Pompeii tomorrow. Today, just let's go hurry up, hurry up. Let's go party. Six months later, we haven't seen it. We're just, okay, we need to leave. Most of us, some people went on their own. Most of us didn't see Pompeii. (laughs) I'm, I'm still mad about it, but this is the way it was at the time. Of course. So, yeah, that was SEAL Team 2. Uh, this is actually when I met Jacko first time. This is where I met so many great guys. You know, sometimes I'm afraid to say names because I say name, and I don't mention the 10, 15, or 50 other guys who yeah. had such a big influence on me right. and, and who are my such a good friends. So I'm kind of sometimes, I think they're going to they're gonna hate me because I didn't say nothing about them. Right. But, you know, there's, they, they know they're people, they are different. They, they, they understand. And then some of them don't even want to be on the, on the, uh, in, in yeah, public. even so, brought yeah. up, right? But, you know, the, the names that I use, I have an explicit permission that mm. I can use. Yeah. Um, so this is where I met Jaco. This is where I met the, the Jack is one of the strongest guys in the SEAL teams I met. The, the guy who I don't know if anybody could beat him up in the real fight. I don't know yeah. if even today, but at that time, yeah, he was a mo- he was he's still a monster. Yeah, but, he is. And then I met another. I consider him one of the strongest seal I ever met. This guy was one of my, I think, my second platoon. He created a program for us to how to get strong. He was a football player, I think, in the uh, or he wanted to be. He was a football player too. But the guy, when like when he went to France. When he put the weights on the uh, on the uh, we trained with the French commando, he put the weights on the on the bar. He picked the bar. That bar bent, and the f- weights are falling off. I couldn't wait my leave that weight with my both hands. Right. Or not many of us could even pick it up. So uh, so the, so guys like this, you know, that I was looking up to, and uh, the, another one was uh, uh, Chief Nicky Baggett. Those I met him later. I was in his platoon later. So with me going through divorce and all this trouble, he's the guy who actually put my career back on track and my my life back on track. I owe him a lot. There are so many people that I owe a lot. And this is about the America, you see? This is something that the goodness that America was built upon, that personal freedom, 
is so transparent to you, to my fellow Americans, because you don't dwell on it. You do the right thing because this is the way you grew up. This is the way America is. This is the way you were brought up. Just be good person. And you don't dwell on it. You do good things. And like, but looking from outside, me coming as an outsider, in, uh, I can see all these good things that American people do. And never stop me amazing. And, and, and even more amazing, like you don't pay attention to it. It's just, this is the way it should be. This is the way mm-hmm. the life is in America. You should be good. You must be good to other people and you must be, you must be helping. So even today, I think this is what I start. I, I want to be good to America. This is the book, The Pledge to America. What I meant by that is I am today better American than I was yesterday. Um, but I will be better American tomorrow than I am today. So that's, that's, that's the it's book it. title. I mean, that's a profound statement because I don't think a lot of people think about being better citizens. They just don't. They think about... Because they are. Because they are. Yeah. This is something they don't yeah. think about it. And uh, like what you just say, the sentiment, I hear all the time from people involved in defending our country. They are putting their lives online every day. They, some of them say, well, look at our citizens. They don't even know where they Some of them don't know where Iraq is. Some of them don't think about it. Some of them don't care. Mm. And, and, but I, I was like listening to it and my answer to it is, that's good. That's what we want our citizens to live life like, mm. right? <clears throat> we don't want them to look over their shoulders and worry about some foreign country coming here and wreaking havoc in our society. Mm. We don't want them to live uh, with, with worries, we want them to feel safe in our country. Mm. We want them to, that means that if they are living this life, means that we do a good job protecting them. Yeah, we were talking earlier about, you know, just socialism, communism, the differences between the two and how socialism is a gateway drug to essentially communism and right. how <clears throat> in totalitarian, totalitarian governments and ultimately, you know, what, what, what I was we were talking about was like, I look at things as, you know, more control, less control. I don't really care what the flavor is. Right. It's, right. it's like, right. if you're going to control or inhibit individual liberty, which is the pursuit of life, was it a, you know, it, pursuit of happiness, right. Which yes. is individual liberty and the, the individual's ability to impact society for the greater good, not yes. just for themselves. So you can be a yes. selfish piece of shit in America. That's fine too. But this is not the way Americans it's are. It's not the way we are. And exactly. more importantly, it, 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 it's something that we should celebrate in the context of, if you want to be selfish, fantastic. You can be selfish. You can. But you, you can also so. be really plugged in and generate a ton of value as an American citizen. I mean, And you know, uh, you know it because you were on the front lines. I know it. We did not fight... Uh, for America, for a political party, no. for a group of people. We we fought for every American. For me, I don't care what you believe in, what your political views, who you are. For me, you are just red, white, and blue. You are American, and I am prepared to lay my life for you to defend those rights. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've met a few people like you, and I mean, I've, I've served with a lot of, of uh, incredible people. One of the one of the stories I, I like to tell people is, and we've got a series of of, of um, videos on some of the Afghans that work for us, and not yeah. in the same way. Yeah. 
but I I went to I did the invasion the invasion of Iraq with a with an interpreter that he had fled Iraq through he was from Basra originally fled Iraq went down to Saudi Arabia was put into a refugee camp in Saudi Arabia they bartered for their life so they overthrew a refugee camp they bartered for their life with tanks Saudi Arabian military tanks they were flown to Beirut. And then from Beirut, he, he flew into Boston through a, refugee, through, a, through a refugee act. And this was right after Saddam had uh, the, the, the Shia uprising in the South. Saddam had pushed, uh, yeah. uh, obviously, a ton of Shias uh, over the yeah, border into that. Saudi Arabia. That you remember? Um, and he landed in Boston, didn't know, didn't know a sentence of English. He had no money like essentially the same story that you had. Didn't have a dime in his pocket to his name. Couldn't uh, put together a coherent English sentence. In five years, he graduated from Boston University with an electrical engineering degree. He found himself in Houston, Texas, working for Motorola, making six figures. In In less than eight years, he learned a completely foreign language Became a, uh, it put himself on a professional track to be a mechanical, no, sorry, an electrical engineer working in Motorola, making above six figures and less than, than, than it took most people and some people in the United States to graduate from a college with a liberal arts degree. And he went back to serve the United States through being an interpreter. Right. In, in the first time he had seen his parents in Iraq mm-hmm. was in, in April of 2003. So he had been gone for 10 years. Mm-hmm. He'd not, he hadn't seen his mom, his dad, any of his family members until we walked in to the front door of their house in Basra, Iraq, after he'd been gone for 10 years. And it was one of the most incredible, incredible things. It was an incredible story. But you know what? That story is possible yeah. only in America. Only. Uh, only in America. People need to realize that we have a great country. This is the, it is still that beacon of freedom for the entire world. We just need to remember that too. That we we can we can we all work as a, a united. We can make America even better. Mm-hmm. But when we start seeing these divisions and 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 divide ourselves in this group, that group, that group, then that's, that this is not good. This is what it concerns me, because you know what? I don't care what you believe in. There's a place for everybody in America. You can have different views. And what's beautiful in America, you can have it and nobody's going to lock you up in prison because you believe something else. Mm-hmm. And, and we can get along together and we can build this America even more better than, uh, than it is now. So this is, uh, you did can. You see, did you see your parents? Have you seen your parents since you left? I've seen my parents uh, when I... Uh, so I live in 84, like 10 years later. Yeah. Just for like maybe two days. Because I was with my SEAL platoon in yeah. Poland. Yeah. Uh, 14 years, I think 14 years later. And then uh, second time I seen my mom after the, uh, I came back from war. Mm-hmm. So um, I, w- I was able to go up there and see her. But she, her health was already declining mm-hmm. and she passed away not too long ago. Passed after it. Wait, is that... Was that difficult being detached from your family, leaving, coming to the United States? You know, uh, I, I kind of feel it may, they may not be 
people may not, may not like my answer, but I say not really. I was so busy in America. I was so yeah. immersed to trying to become good American that I did not think much about it. No, now I have some, I wish maybe I spent some time with my mom. I wish I, wish I contact her more, but um, it, it didn't happen. You know, I was, I was then the war broke up. So I was mm-hmm. in, in uh, intimately involved in this war. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was no, no time to think about it. And, Did but, you go um, back to beat up your stepbrother anymore? No, I think uh, <laughs> no. I just feel sorry for him. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's, um, you know, uh, talking about war, like I haven't seen in this war anything that the Navy did not prepare me to see. Right. I didn't do anything in this war that Navy did not prepare me to do. I have no regrets whatsoever. Well, maybe one. I wish we kill more of these bastards up there. And I'm th- I'm serious about it because if we get rid of one of these uh, turds, the terrorists, maybe my team by team teammate would come back alive yeah. to his family. Maybe the one if we didn't mi- if we didn't miss that son of the bitch, maybe we, we could have some of our brothers come back in one piece. Yeah, I think I I I, I think you shared a sentiment that the, the sentiment that a lot of us feel, which is. Uh, if we could have taken more blood, it would essentially replace at least the blood some that of we these left. guys who killed yeah. our guys would yeah. eliminate them. Yeah. I don't have any. I don't have any regrets whatsoever. I think that you know the people that are are having any type of emotional or psychological distress over what I don't what, have this psychological distress. Yeah, the you know the the way I look into it, I'm sure we have a similar or, or not identical sentiment. I didn't go there to win hearts and minds. I went there to terrorize and kill terrorists. Mm-hmm. I'm terror terrorist terrorizer. I think you feel the same way. You are terrorist terrorizer. Because I think the best way to win war on terror with terrorists is to terrorize them. Mm-hmm. And it works. Like I say earlier, violence always works. We didn't work for us, uh, for, for you or for me. It means we didn't apply, didn't apply enough of that violence. I, I, I 100% works. agree. I think that we should have applied more I, I could have run. I, 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 I could have easily uh, run them all off a cliff like herds of buffalo, and it wouldn't have mattered to me one <laughs> yeah, way or another. Those are animals. I would have ate. I would have ate a ham sandwich and and get twelve hours of sleep at night. It wouldn't have bothered me at all. Wouldn't give a shit. Especially when you think about these the, these guys attaching grenades to the crib, to the baby's yeah, blanket yeah, with yeah. the pants. When you pull the blanket with the kid, the little baby mm-hmm. sleeping inside. You detonate the grenades all around this crib, killing yourself, everybody in the room, and the baby. That's the that's the evil we were fighting there. Well, in a evil, to be clear, evil needs to be eliminated, and I, I don't think yes. that there's any other way that you yes. can do that. There's not a there's not a circumstance in which, and when I say this, uh, you know, people continue to to go back and look at their wars that they fought in and they talk about the way that they fought in them. And I'm like, I think this is a part of human evolution and the circumstance of male evolution. We have been clubbing ourselves in the sense of like clubbing each other to death in the, what I would say is the competition of life since the ability that we had to pick up a club. And I don't quite understand why we have to have all this self and emotional and psychological reflection in the context of being human because it is what it is. I'm not trying to over 
be a nihilist in it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is part of being a man. It's part of actually the evolutionary process that we've ultimately opted in by being human. Right. People think, you know, and I hear it all the time, you know, you are a hero, hero. I'm not a hero. Heroes are people who didn't come back from the battlefield. But if you talk about heroes, I'm not. I'm a monster. Sometimes people need the monster to to fight the monsters. We We are those monsters. I, and I like to think about this as energy in the context of, you know, the, the, if we look at nuclear power, for instance, it can light a city and it can blow one up. Mm-hmm. So it is energy. It's a physics equation in the context of you have a, a finite amount of energy that you can apply in the world and you can direct that in the way that you want. Sure. So if you're a monster, that means that you have a, a significant amount more power to either create good or evil. The difference is, is I tend to agree that you've created more good than you have evil in the way that you've Sometimes projected you mon- that power. it takes monster to fight monsters. Yeah, it does. And I think we need those people. Yeah. Like you have to have those people within a society that are willing yes. to take on the challenge. But, like, I just want to make a disclaimer here. Yeah. I am fully domesticated <laughs> now. I'm, my yeah. wife fully domesticated yeah, yeah. me. She's claimed still I'm the project under construction, but but I feel so domesticated. Yeah. I feel so civilized now that, because I think you had a similar- You're wearing glasses. Yeah, yeah, you know. I would never do it. You know, better yeah. to die than look bad, right? I would never wear it before, but you're, now I do. My wife makes me do it. I mean, and, and I think- I heard about you. The funny thing is I heard about you for years. I've heard about you from other people that I've known and I worked with at the CIA for years. Like, you're a legend. You are. You're a legend. People people used to talk about you in the the way that you were, um, in in, in quite literally, the how fucking incredibly hard you were and are like in that era. Because I wanted to be like guys, them. That's you, why. Yeah, yeah, but you 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 standardized a template for re, like like legendary badass. I heard about you in and and this is the the, the 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 construct that I heard was you were in the Russian gulag because <laughs> you you know you know we're talking about this or you were in the Russian gulag before you became a seal. It's like what who like kind of a fucking hard ass was in the Russian <laughs> but gulag I, 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 before they were a seal. Like yeah. that, that, that person doesn't exist. The amount of, of, of like badassery doesn't even kind of come close to being able to contemplate what that means. What does that mean? That's, right. that's. Crazy. I would just like to make a quick disclaimer here because uh, this is important. Of because, course. Uh, People will just very quick come out and say Poland never had the gulags. Well, gulag is a prison labor uh, system of labor camps in Soviet Union. Poland had gulags, labor camps in 1940s, late 1940s and 50s, but they were disbanded. I was political prisoner sitting in political prison, in prison for political prisoners. There's, there's a, technically, uh, there, there's a difference because like with the labor camps, we refused to work for communists. They say, okay, you are a prisoner. You need to do this and this job. So it's like, fuck you, kind of shit. You, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't even be here. Yeah. I'm political prisoner. You are not political prisoners. You are criminals. We're always criminals uh, for, for these people. But um, yeah, so there was just a disclaimer. There were political prisons, but run on the model of KGB and run created and, and by with the advisors from the Soviet Union and KGB. So that's, that's, that's there were political prisons 
mm-hmm. in Poland. And matter of fact, is what an in- interesting here story. The caveat of it is when I was I was I think I mentioned about it earlier that I visited Poland in year ago, and I was invited to on the way to Ukraine. I was invited to reunion of political prisons prisoners in Poland. Matter of fact, the prison in Hrubieshov was one of the harshest prisons in Poland at the time. To, when I went there a year ago, I was able to actually tour it with these prisoners. Yeah. The people I was locked up with were walking through the prison. I, the, do you remember a, them? Do you, do you yeah, remember? We, we, yeah, those are those are my heroes too. Yeah. Because remember, I was 21 years old. Yeah. I didn't give a shit. For yeah. me, it was like adventure and, and school and yeah. other training. These guys were married. They have a children, yeah. families. Imagine coming to home and on, on the stairways, you stop and haul away from your family to never see them again. Yeah. And they have a children. They were under a lot of pressure. They did not cave in. These people st- stood by their uh, principles uh, uh, and by their uh, ideals and never give up. Those are heroes. Yeah. They they collapsed Soviet Union. They collapsed entire, people like that collapsed entire yes. Soviet bloc. So yeah, but I was able to sit a year ago to stay in the same prison cell that I was held. I was touring entire prison where I was being held. There was with permission of the government. Poland has free government. Poland has nothing to do with socialism and communism. Matter of fact, Polish constitution forbids promoting any totalitarian system, whether national socialism or communism. You can go to prison if you promote this... Uh, um, murderous mm. ideologies, then dangerous ideologies. But, um, and today there is a plaque in, uh, building that prison wall saying that here, <clears throat> that the communist government was holding political prisoners and there's like never will happen again in Poland that people will be held for their beliefs in prisons. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's <clears throat> fascinating. Yeah, please. Could I have one? Yeah. Grab more water. It's fascinating to me because I think about the the level of of um, wherewithal or fortitude, like that you obviously from your experience, not only from growing up, and then ultimately the 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 entire life. Because now. It, it, you're uh uh would would you say you do professionally now? For, I'm a software engineer. Yeah, you're so, he's a, you're a software engineer. <laughs> so you you went from Poland to being in a political prisoner to being a Navy SEAL. But hold on, a, a quick little side project in there where you're a mechanic and Mercedes and and Saab and working in a drop zone to Navy SEAL to software engineer the. The, the the capacity for you to endure is fascinating. Like it's fascinating. This is maybe not so much capacity by the but the the opportunity that America presents to everybody. You that couldn't be possible in any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. Here I came in with like you say with nothing and look where I am right now. My first dream coming to America was to buy the like old U-Haul truck so I can cut the windows out in it. I can put bed in it, you know, maybe tiny bathroom. 
and there'll be my own home. I can have my own, my own, you know? Did you say you're going to buy a U-Haul truck? Like you use like U-Haul truck and, <laughs> and make a home out of it. Because I never dream even that I can ever buy the house. How can you buy the house? I mean, oh. so that was my dream. Yeah. Of course, my dreams change. It's different yeah. now. But that, 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 that was my dream at the time. And with, as you... My dreams are different now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, what did you say? You're 65? 63. 63. So you're 63 and you've obviously had this in, incredibly interesting life. There, there are things that you, you carry with you today that obviously mean more than anything else, which is when I talk about endurance... You have you, like the question I have to ask you is like, how? Like, wh what is it, what is it that like not only rolls your ass out of bed but keeps you keeps you moving? And well, in Poland, you had no no choice. You just had to do it because you 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 go to prison and they will shoot you. Yeah. But in America, that's my inspiration. That's it. I can I can be who and I don't say I'm not saying whatever I want to be because I want to be astronaut I'm too old for it but sure. I can be whatever I am able to be everybody in America can be whatever they are able to be there is nothing to stop you nobody asks you well you want to be software engineer yeah. well, what party do you belong right. or you know do you, do you did you belong in your youth to some socialist or communist organizations. If you do, we can accept you, but if you don't, you can get it. I couldn't get higher education in Poland because I did not belong to party. I, I, I did not yeah. belong to the, the socialist youth organization. Right. There was no way in hell I could get to my college degree. Here, everything is possible. Mm. And you know what? And I am not just, I, I am one of the examples. There's another guy, Ed Heiner, the commander, uh, Navy SEAL, he wrote the book, the guts. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should read it. What an inspiration, yeah, inspirational yeah. story. So the guy was born like as poor as I was. He was poorer than I was. He made, he beat people like I used to beat people. He was fighter. He was fighting on the streets. He is a commander now. He's, uh, he's of course retired. But, you know, listen to his story and you will think, you will see that my story is not very unique mm -hmm. because there is a lot of Americans who made themselves because America allows you to be what you are able to be and what you, if you want to pursue it. it it's similar because, you know, where, where, where I grew up, I grew up in, in the middle of nowhere in a very rural community. And I'm not saying it's similar in the context of like, we didn't grow up in, in, in Poland. I'm saying I grew up in a very rural, isolated community in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, a, a uh, slightly above what I would say is, you know, the the the, the poverty line with a, a, a great family, but I've been able to travel internationally, learn multiple different languages, started business. Like I've had multiple different chapters of my yeah. life, and there's nothing that has necessarily been inhibiting me. In all reality, what I tell people all the time is like, I'm running this engine at Redline all the time, right? I'm getting the most as I can right. out of this because. Like, I'm not going to miss on the advantages that have been given to me based on this country. It's literally been based on this country. If I would have been born, and you and I know, you know way more than, than I do in this context, but traveling, you know, just going all over Southeast Asia and in yeah. the Middle East and in all over the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Central Asia, if it, we, we collectively in America, you hit the birth lottery. When you're born here, yes. man, talk about yes. 
talk about the, the the numbers coming up clean on the on the on the lottery in, in Vegas. Like, man, it is incredible because once you travel outside of this, and you see, I, I think where it was so obvious to me, it was just painfully obvious how fortunate and lucky I was, and how I'll never take it for granted was Afghanistan. When you see the yeah. people, yep. they are treated as beasts of burden, and they're exploit they're exploited. They're treated worse than their mules. Yes. It, it's tragic. It is. And you made a very important point here. This is not so much about food and wealth. It is about the freedom. And it is also about the, 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 the food as many people put around. But also the restrictions, the totalitarian system put on you and the threat you live under every day that, you know, one day you might just not show up home from work because some communist apparatchik decide to kill you or just get rid of you, just like they used to do in Poland. Again, in Poland, Poland has is a free country now. It's beautiful. I mean, I think people should go up there and see it. What's the difference? But I remember from communist times and now where people are free, they smile. Before you look somebody in the eyes, they would, they would be like, what the fuck are you looking at? Now it's like, hi, hello, you know? It's, uh, it's, it's so different. But also they have a funny story. A friend of mine just came visit me, a Grom uh, uh, operator, mm -hmm. a former Grom operator. I fought war in Iraq with him. So he came and visited me. And he was so amused, even now, you know, when it was free Poland, people came. Yeah. He was so amused when he looked, we're driving my street, I have a living on tiny street, and there's a sign and says, warning, child at play. He was like, what is this? <laughs> In Poland, they will be, if you play on the street, you're gonna, you're gonna go to, they're gonna have police come and they give you a ticket. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually, when he was leaving, I was driving him to the airport. He demanded we stop by that sign and he take a picture of it so we can actually say in Poland, this is how we treat our citizens. This is how people live here. We take care of our people. We take care of our uh, our people, you know? And this is like my dream, you know? Mm -hmm. I know you are going to live here saying it, but it's like dream. I can dream, right? We can dream whatever we want to dream. Yeah. One day, if I become billionaire, uh, when, I'm saying when, because I will. When? I will want to build free Healthcare for children. Every child will just go to it. Needs to go to a doctor. We just go to a doctor, so parents never have to worry about paying rent or paying for child healthcare. It's, they still get the care in America. They still. Yeah. But I just want it to be so obvious that when the kid is, you know, up to whatever, that 15, 16 years old, he don't have to worry about having cancer and and ruining the uh, entire family and eventually losing house. I want it to be for everybody. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's my I, dream. I, I, and I think, I, I, I 100% agree. I think that, you know, being one, I mean, America's per capita, one of the wealthiest yeah. nations in the world. I think outside of government couple, to do it. Yeah. I would do it. If I was the that's, millions, I would do it myself. the beauty of it is like being able to give back to very specific, very specific things, which is, yes. I love that. And we talk about this. I mean, I've talked about this a lot where I'm like, I don't expect the government to do it, but I do expect the government to, to allow me the opportunity yes. to create the wealth That's so I can do it. Yes. And it's like, if I choose to do it, just like, you know, Elon wants to make a, a, a space program or, you know, Bezos yep. wants to make us do whatever Elon does, whatever, then 
they can go out and make those decisions. Right. If they want to dedicate, you know, $16 billion of their $50 billion net worth or whatever it might be to, you know, child's education and healthcare, they can do that. That's great. Yes. But we can't do that. Also, if we're being forced into a system that continues to, to, Steal the money from you Steal and oppress you. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. They, they need to feed themselves, and they will, they will, they will go after your money because they, they want to live certain lifestyles and socialism. Okay, so I don't think socialism was ever goal for anybody in the United States. No. By socialism is a great tool to subdue society, to make them dependent, to pauperize the society, and that's what is dangerous. This is why we need to stay independent. We need to be very careful and monitor because from from the free free country to socialist state, it may not be that far not be that difficult to get if people if some if people don't pay attention i i think i i i actually think like, like socialism it, it, socialism and communism both they're 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 half-baked intellectual uh, ideologies that are that are yes. that are implemented by people that mm. quite literally have a a a control issue mm-hmm. they Primarily, it's driven by people that really well, you have want to. control. You have to, because otherwise, the society will not sustain itself. And you see this, it's a very common human psychological a human psychological condition. You saw it in the military. I saw it in the military. Where I saw it, the CIA saw it in the military. Where a lot of people, they inherently want to control other people. True. They do not like it. And when socialism is the, perfect tool they, for it. They, they love it. Yeah, they want yeah. to control other people. Yep. And they get their fucking rocks off by just being able to implement yes. very stringent controls of other people. You see it within religion. You see it within government. You see it with it all over. Freedom drives other humans bananas. True. They hate it. Yes. They, like, people and like think, my father. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And think about it, too. This is this is even more to it. Every four or five years, in every socialist state, will have have those will have these upheavals. Mm-hmm. There was in Poland, there was Czechoslovakia, the Romania. If you read, you know, in the history, you can read about those invasion of Czechoslovakia, nineteen sixty-eight, the Hungary, nineteen fifty-six, I believe. So there was every so many years, and every so many years, another crew come in and say, okay. These are bad guys. So we're going to execute them. We're going to kill them, put them in prison, and we build the right socialism. <laughs> yeah. And they are building so, until the next upheaval. They, they're going to do it right this yeah, time. Yeah. They're going to do and, it right. Until the next upheaval. And yeah. that's how, how it works. So we need to be very careful about it. America is a great country. Let's don't let anybody, uh, let's don't wait. Let's don't let uh, our enemies to pervert America into socialist state. It's not, and we I don't think we ever will be, but we need to be cognizant that those systems are dangerous and and, and I, yeah, protect it, America. It, the, 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 the wolf in wolf's clothing is allowing any form of socialism or communism within even the Especially with structure. the name, you know. Yeah, and it is. what is not understood here very well in America is uh, is the term that we use in social what we used to use in socialist country is is is, is the uh, is uh, is desensitization, desensitization and normalization of evil. Yeah. So the the way it works in Poland was, if you call somebody pervert. 
that sounds really strong, right? You call teacher a pervert. You know, people would think like, why is he pervert? We don't want children. Yeah. But if you call him Samalamana or something, whatever, so what? I don't know what it is. He may be Salamana yeah, yeah. And this is with the wokeism here too. Uh, think about it. Uh, if you call, say, hey, you know what? I don't want my kids to be uh, twerk and pole dance. Yeah. In, in, uh, in elementary school by, by men, you know, in the wig, then if you say there's a perversion that's not good, it will raise alarm in society. But to say there's work, work, what's the work? Okay, it's work. So people, act, this is the technique from socialist state to normalize a, a world to people accept easier yeah. the depravity and perversions mm -hmm. that uh, that that, uh, uh, that do this. But I want to make a disclaimer here. You know, there are people who, uh, who am I to tell the man that he cannot wear, cannot, that he, who am I to tell a man that he cannot wear the wig and lipstick? It's free. I fought for his right to live his life the way he wanted. I don't want him around my kids and twerking to them. No. But otherwise, you know, if you want to, mm. if it is knock you out, being having a lipstick, go for it. And but there's another thing to aspect to it. You know, many of these people actually are mentally ill. This called gender dysphoria, mm. and you know, you don't go and attack people with schizophrenia. No. You show compassion. And I think the same thing here. You know, these genuinely ill people, why to beat up on them? Show them compassion. Let them live in dignity, whatever that dignity is for them. And and just, they're Americans. We, I will live my life for these people so they can live the life the way they want it. Twerking in front of the kids, stalking them in the bathrooms, my, our daughters in the bathroom, or attacking women in the sports. That's not the mental illness. That's depravity, and that's that's my opinion. Yeah, it's a very distinctly different things. Yes. Uh, allowing adults to do what, what adults do within their it doesn't harm me. It doesn't harm me or my family. It's freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and to be fair, yeah, I don't care. I don't care if they wear a dress. I don't care what they do. They, exactly. I don't have to accept it, nor do I have to allow it within well, my it. school. Yeah. And it's more true. importantly, okay, well, I. Uh, it's your it, business. It's you your do business. Whatever. You live your but life the way you the like The problem it. is, is then you have one side that's then telling us, well, you have to accept it. You're like, no, I don't. I don't have to accept it. I don't have to do anything. I'm free. I'm an American. I don't, I don't have, have to, to accept, accept it, anything. but we must not attack these yeah. people. We might, If they want to live this way, this is their way of life. Yeah. And I've, we fought for their rights so they can live their way of life. I don't accept Maybe, but I'm not going to go and beat up on the guy. No. You know, let me tell you how I was cured from gender dysphoria. So when I was six years old, I see the girls, I said, you know, grandma, these girls, they can so free, they can run half naked underneath. So if I want to wear the dress, so I don't have to wear those tight pants and stuff, can I go to dress with dress and, 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 and play with the kids in the dress? Well, after a quick spanking, I was I was cured. There was no more dress and the word. And I'm, 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 you know, I'm grateful that it was like, oh well, no, let's get you some shots and let's amputate some of your body parts so you can uh, you can be like a girl. I'm my, glad they didn't do it. I my, got spanked and cured, cured very quickly. My my girls like this is a funny thing. Like you know, my girls are six and nine. We we have to tell them to brush their teeth every night. Mm -hmm. 
we, we have to tell them that they have to have a, a well-rounded and nutritious meals. We have to pack yes. their lunches. We have to tell them what to eat. We have to tell them to brush their teeth. We have to tell them to put their clothes and their dishes away. They don't have the cognitive functions to decide right. whether or not they are or they aren't something at six and nine years old. They just don't. Like I and by the way, by 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 the way, I don't fucking care who wants to debate me in this. It just doesn't work that way. And it in I know that you you're you or you're going to agree with me, but it's like, I've had some of these conversations with people not here on this podcast, maybe somewhere else mm -hmm. in downtown where they're like, well, they, they have the right to choose. I'm like, no, they, they can't choose. If they chose every meal at night that they wanted to have, they would eat nothing but like Ben and Jerry's every night. They, they'd never brush their teeth. They'd never put anything away. If we left them alone. Well, you would never let seven year old kid to come up and say, Hey mom, that I won't have a tattoo on my face. <laughs> no, you, you okay, I tattoo their wanna, face, right? Yeah, like, hey, if my seven-year-old's like, I really like unicorns, I'm going to put a giant tattoo in the middle of my forehead of a unicorn. You'd be like, absolutely not. That's never going to happen. It wouldn't even right. be registered as a legitimate conversation. But it's okay to amputate their body parts. That's <laughs> yeah. mutilation. And this is something that hopefully one day these doctors, these Frankensteins, these uh, Dr. Mengele's, who are performing these surgeries because they are very profitable surgeries. If they perform these surgeries on these little kids, they will be prosecuted and go to prison one day. And don't say never know, because when I was growing up in Poland, we never thought that these monsters who were killing people and these communists will ever be prosecuted. We thought that's just, just the way the life is. Today, they are being still some of the judges sentencing uh, uh, Polish patriots to prison or to uh, to, to, to death, the sentencing to death, they are being prosecuted today. I got a call a year, not a year ago, I mean, eight months ago from prosecutor in my city, lots inquiring about my really? torture, me being beat up in prison and stuff. So, no, no, today they might feel safe, but eventually for mutilating kids, hopefully they will end up in prison one day mm -hmm. and, and will have to answer for these uh, uh, Frankenstein surgery, surgeries on our kids. If you are an adult, you, you want to cut your arm off, more power to you. Mm -hmm. I fought Have for fun. your right to be to live free. You, you the actually way you like. can't even do that, isn't it? Actually, you, you can't, can't, do, you can't yeah. do. You can't go to a doctor and be like, ah, "I'm done. I'm done with this thing. Take my let's arm take, away. take it off." You can't even do that. Oh, I feel like a fish. Yeah. Just yeah. cut my legs off. Yeah, hey, let's let's cut a hole in your back of your head. Yeah, Here, get, get you a blowhole going. So, so this is something that we need to be cognizant. Yeah. And parents, I think that, uh, and I've. My, my cure for gender dysphoria was very swift, quick, and I never came back to it. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of guidance. You don't have to go and spank your kid for that. But sometimes you might inquire a little bit more. And if you tell five years old, well, would you like to be a girl or boy? You can be both. That's dangerous. I mean, Buried. that's something that, you know, kid doesn't have the no. cognitive capacities to answer this question. And we know today, many of these people who went through transition as even adults regret today. Mm. So Chris Beck is one of the examples. Yeah. He's, he He's was a, a former, former team seal, guy. Yeah, yeah, former team guy yeah. who decided he, do, he, he, he wants to be a woman. And finally he, decided, he, he realized and he turned back. He's a great warning. He's outspoken about it, that this is not right. Mm. And again, this is nothing against people genuinely ill with gender dysphoria. We need to be compassionate to them and we need to be like, you know, I'll give you an example. I mean, I was in the store 
uh, with the, I think it was Best Buy, and the dude in the skirt and the lipstick came out. Uh, you know, as a dude, has a whiskers and everything. And he was working there. He was helping us. You know, yeah, somebody else could say, you know what, you look weird. Just go up there. Let me get some real salesperson. No, he doesn't, he's not breaking the law. He's not harming me. He's there to help me. I'll talk to him. I will go in the, you know, for me, he's not the dude in the wig. For me, he's an American. You know, he's he's American. And that's 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 all matters to me. Red, white, and blue. He mm-hmm. lives his life the way he wants. Drago, thanks, man. Appreciate Thank you. you. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, no. sorry. I, I broke my finger the other day. Oh, you, so you should tell me because yeah. I, well, you need uh, to sign that before you go. Absolutely. It's been a fucking awesome podcast. Uh, we will put a link to the books. You'll be able to go to Amazon, right? Yes. Okay, Amazon, perfect. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Thanks, guys. 